Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is S-I-R-T, Seth in real time. And I am Baba is Eric. Wow, Seth, I certainly wasn't expecting to come into the HQ today to see 20-foot graffiti on the wall. Nice. Thank you, Charles. Oh, man, that's really cool. Yeah, you know, I just felt like an icon like him deserved an epic piece in tribute. And as two guys have seen this entire journey with Mario, I can't wait to talk about what it meant to us today on the show. Man, word, word. And I see you added all of his roles in the piece, too, not just Mario. And I see Luigi, Wario, Wildman. And a bunch of people may not know, but we're going to break it down for him today, and I cannot wait. Yes, I dig it! But with us spending so much time tagging the streets of New Amsterdam this week, I really felt this was the best way to express myself. I'm so grateful for Team Reptile. I've been basically waiting on this game for over 20 years, and today we finally, finally get to gush about Bomb Rush Cyberfunk in our indie showcase. BRCF! Back. Well, like a certain voice actor did with an Italian plumber for over 25 years, I'd say it's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. We're here with another episode of All In Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every week no shell is left unturned, no point is left unearned. Uh, hopefully a couple of old white guys doing an intro like that didn't come across as, t- as too cringy, but we're just excited. We're happy to be of here. Of cringy. That's part of the fun. <laughs> we're happy to be here. We're, we're, you know, we got a lot of uh, important things to talk about. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk came out. We've both played a ton of it. Can't wait to like yes. really sit in that pocket. Charles Martinet, the icon, the legend himself, stepping away from his turn as Super Mario after over 30 years. Uh, so much to uh, to get into this week, man. But before we get into any of it, we have something very important to do first. We do. We got our very own crew that we got to shout out. <laughs> the All In crew over on patreon.com slash All In podcast. Big thanks to the friends and supporters that uh, that throw a few bones our way over there, especially to our Golden Banana tier supporters like Rob Yapel, Third Strongest Mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad Number 4, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Bowza, Game Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, and Foolish Fuji. Big thanks to our Golden Banana Bunch. Y'all are the best. Moving into our Triforce tier. <laughs> we need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, also the On Topic Retro Podcast. The Globetrotten, Jet Set, and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over on YouTube. Uh, Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, also the Octo Rock 1982 on YouTube. Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Danielina Hosa, Dan and Luma, Solo Something, and the legend himself. The most legendary writer of us all, Uncle Randy. <laughs> I like that. I like the term writer. For I've never, I'd never heard writer for like graffiti artists. I'd never yeah. heard that until Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. But I really like it. That's yeah. a good. Yeah, <laughs> there was an. See, like there was another thing they talk about, like bombing the streets, bomb. But bombing in this regard is to to tag something to to add street art to it to add graffiti to it. But I specifically wanted to. 
stay away from that Vermont because <laughs> yeah yeah well that that one i've heard before but the the writer i was like oh, i like that that's neat um i do too yes but big thanks to everybody uh who supports us on patreon throws a few bones our way of course you can uh support us entirely for free by dropping words five star reviews apple podcast Podchaser, audible spotify anywhere you can leave reviews very quick free and easy uh way to support the show we really appreciate you for doing that but sir what has been going on in your world this week? Uh, well, as we <laughs> went into great detail last week, last week was indeed a big week for releases and didn't leave us with, uh, you know, left us with more than enough to sink our teeth into this week. So sure enough, we have both been playing quite a bit of Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. We have both rolled credits on the game. Uh, in addition to that, of course, you know, we'll be talking about that here in a few minutes, a little bit more. Don't you worry. Uh, but in addition to that, I think you and I have both been spending quite a bit of time in a little game called Vampire Survivors. <sighs> yeah, that game's dangerous, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that game's dangerous. <laughs> Uh, so for those who don't know, it's super simple. You basically just walk around. You have all these attacks, but they're all automatically performed. It's a no-button game. Yeah, yeah, it's a zero-button game, effectively, outside of menu navigation. Mm -hmm. uh, but you go around, uh, you maneuver your characters as your automatic attacks continue to take out enemies on the screen. You go around, pick up little experience gems to level your character up, to get new weapons or to power up the ones that you already have. Or you can pick up power-ups that have dropped, treasure chests that have dropped to get more money, so that you can continue to upgrade stuff outside of the gameplay loop and repeat uh, over and over again, millions of times over, until you die, essentially. Uh, and I, I mean die IRL, by the way, because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because it does, <laughs> it does, it does get, get its hooks in you pretty quick, man. It does. So. And uh, yeah, I've got to say, the I may have to up the difficult, like not trying to brag or anything, but... Like there's a delicate balance that game needs to hit in order to, you know, feel like it's still challenging. But like once you get deep enough into it, once you've upgraded these abilities and these attacks so much, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm actively trying to die. I'm seeing if I can take damage. The thing is, these attacks are coming out so quickly and they're so powerful that... The, the way it is right now, I may just have to take out all the buffs that I have on my character because you can purchase permanent buffs for your character as well. And I may just have to do that because I, I, I'm already kind of at the point where it's it's starting to lack a challenge for me. So I think I may have to go in and find a little bit more. There's certainly a lot to do. There's a lot of different characters to play as who have their own individual starting weapons. And there are different stages which have different... Uh, relics you can collect, which have permanent power-ups. and But there, there's certainly a lot to do, and, it, and it's really interesting. Uh, but man, once you get those those weapons, some of those weapons to their final form, it is just ridiculous. You're like, you are become death. Uh, the goal of the game is essentially just to survive for 30 minutes. And when I tell you that you will kill 
tens of thousands of enemies within that 30 minute span. If you can survive, I'm not kidding. That's not hyperbolic. Um, the screen gets absolutely filled. And that was one of the biggest concerns, I think, for a lot of people coming into the Switch version of the game is by the time you get deep into that counter, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on on screen. And uh, I've got to say, I have had about as much stuff going on on screen as you possibly can in that game. And I have yet to witness a single frame of slowdown, a single frame uh, dropped or elapsed or lost in and amongst the insanity. So a very, very good port from a technical standpoint as well is Vampire Survivors for those who were wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like the um, I agree, like once you, you you do get to a certain point, especially in your run where you are, it is just ridiculous. Like there's just. Yeah. You can just stand still and do you nothing. You can, yeah, absolutely. You know? And that and that's legitimately a good strategy a lot of the time. Yeah, and you can even build around that. Like there's, you know, there's literal ways to to build around a playstyle like that. There's even a character who is actually he's like an old man, he's like quite frail and he moves yeah. really slowly and has like less health than everybody else, but um, he, in addition to that, has like a very high pickup radius and he starts with garlic, which with is like garlic. low key, the most yeah. OP, you garlic know, amazing uh, power. in that game. Yeah. So like there's, a, there's in a, a game called vampire survivors, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there is, I will say like the, the game as the layers of it have sort of peeled away, the more time you spend with it, I am impressed at like how much there is here and how too. much mileage they get out of, yeah, no button combat. Like the, I, I can't really imagine not only a dopamine loop as strong as this, like this is as strong a dopamine loop as I've experienced in any game ever. Like it's just constant, you know, becoming all powerful, constantly yeah. leveling up, constantly improving. <laughs> it's a power trip. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And then like, in addition to that, yeah, like the, like being able to go back to the main menu after your run, spend the gold that you've earned on permanent, you know, sort of passive buffs and stuff. Uh, you can like, you can, you can put points into even like curses to make the enemies exactly. more powerful. Yep. yep. Um, Which I think I may need to start doing. That's there what are I've been also doing. like yeah. hyper modes mm -hmm. and, uh, extra difficulty modes, which I've started to unlock, which uh, I will continue to, but there are actually uh, multiple stages to like, once you get to a certain level in a stage, you unlock the next one and so on and so forth until quote unquote, the end of the game. Uh, but there, yeah, there is a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff to do, a lot of stuff to unlock, a lot of fun to be had. And crucially the game is only five bucks. Yeah. It's five dollars. The DLC, I think, is like a dollar forty nine or two dollars or something. Yeah, like, DLC is two bucks a piece. There's two sets of DLC, so uh, I don't. I think it's no longer on a launch window discount. I think. Yeah. But even regardless, the game plus both sets of DLC won't even run you ten ten full dollars. So, uh, but it's it's really cool. It's really interesting. But yeah, for those first few runs, it can get incredibly nerve wracking. When, when the game is able to find like the perfect balance, there is uh, like there is genuine like heart bursting out of chest tension. Uh, and yeah. it did get me a couple times. So, but uh, yeah, really cool. Everything you've heard about the game is true. The, the presentation isn't exactly, you know, 
going to blow your socks away. But again, this is like a single person or a very small team. It's a small team. I team. think it's, yeah, I think it's like 10 people at Ponkel. It's, it's a pretty small team. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth checking out, especially with the Nintendo switch version, which I've already mentioned, uh, is a very technically sound. Runs port. great. Yeah, yeah. It runs great. I have a, no issues with that. It's like, it's kind of game two where like, yeah, the, the deeper you get in, like I, I like made the mistake of just quickly being like, how many characters are in there? There, there are dozens yeah, there's a lot. of characters that you can unlock in this game. Um, there's a ton of stuff, a ton of secrets, a ton of like the, the game goes to weirder places than you think it will too. <laughs> um, it, there's just, I think it basically every turn there has been more here than I thought there would be. Cause like I'd always heard of vampire survivors. I kind of knew, or, or at least I felt like I knew kind of what I was getting into, but, um, but there is, you know, they, they've taken a very simplistic, I mean, the most bare bones premise, uh, and, and implementation of gameplay mechanics possible and turned it into something like big and massive. And like the popularity of the game, I think is, is well-deserved at this point. So yeah, good for them. uh, Definitely check it out if you haven't already, but yeah, Bomber, Cyberfunk, Vampire Survivors, both of those came out last week. Uh, I still haven't had an opportunity to play Marble It Up Ultra, which I would love to. We we had an amazing indie showcase with the Marble Collective last week. If you haven't already checked it out, that is a must listen interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, a couple other things I was able to get to. I have been, I am deep into Metroid Prime remastered at this point. Uh, I should have that done this weekend or the coming weeks. So incredibly glad to finally get the opportunity to play that. And again, the remaster just keeps on impressing. It is so unbelievably good. It really, really is. Uh, I, I really don't think at this point there's anything that I can add to the conversation or any hot takes or any new angle. If you haven't played Metroid Prime Remastered, it's just immaculate. It really is. If you've never played one of the 3D Metroids, you and I were talking about this last night. As a matter of fact, it is about as perfect a translation from 2d to 3d that I think a game franchise has ever seen. Yeah. Um, It's, it's just fantastic. So go ahead and go play Metroid prime remastered. God, wrestle quest came out this week and I haven't even had time to play that. Mm. Oh my, that that's absolutely happening this week. And wrestle quest came out. I cannot wait to finally sink my teeth into that one. I had to wait a couple extra weeks. It was supposed to come out back on the eighth or the ninth. Uh, but I, I'm doing that this weekend. I'm doing that this weekend. I swear. Speaking of wrestling, the stadium stampede mode for AEW Fight Forever that released, and I haven't had an opportunity. Oh, to play it, it that actually yet. came out. Yeah, nice. it came out. That one's out. Uh, there was another kind of Gamescom uh, drop. So, but one big thing I absolutely did want to make sure to make a little bit of time for this week is, and I know this is just a me thing, some pinball. That is because ah. uh, Pinball FX, which released a, a while back, which I talked about on the show, which you should definitely try out if you have an even a passing interest in Pinball. The free version of the game comes with three free tables, uh, one of which Sorcerer Slayer is amazing. Uh, but this past week, in addition to dropping a brand new Star Trek 
the Next Generation-themed table, they also released a pack of 11 old Marvel pinball tables from, like, the early days of Pinball FX from, like, near the launch of the Xbox 360 days. And these were all tables that I had like 10, 15 years ago on my Xbox 360. And I played them uh, and, and it was fantastic. And getting these tables back, oh man, it's, it hurts my soul to think about how big of a nostalgic hit I'm getting from Xbox 360 content. Uh, that's really making me start to feel old. However, I mean, <laughs> I really did. Yeah, the Iron Man table, the Spider-Man table, the Moon Knight table, the Thor pinball table. I really, man, I jumped into those. I currently, as of this recording, own the top score on the Nintendo Switch leaderboards on a couple of those boards. Um, that's just how much I love pinball, you guys. But it was so cool to jump back into those tables that I that I'd played so, so many years ago. And you know, just remember that time. And, you know, so much of the stuff about the tables came back to me and so many of the animations, which look kind of uh, aged now, just feel quaint to me and feel very comfortable. You know, it's, it's a very kind of comfort food thing for me. So I was, I did have to make time for that. There's so much I want to do so many games that I want to play. Like I said, Russell quest and everything like that. But I, I knew I was going to make time for that. And that, that, that made Eric very happy this past week. Thank you, Zen Pinball. If you want to check it out, that 11 table bundle is available on Pinball FX, I believe, for $23.49, something like that. So uh, if you want to, check it out. Nice. Very nice. But uh, yeah, I've certainly had a jam packed week. But what about you, my friend? I have two. It's been a busy, busy week. Oh, um, you don't say. <laughs> it's almost as if something you've been looking forward to for most of your adult life finally happened. Well, like, yeah, that like that's certainly true. And like I played a bunch of it. I streamed it, you know, on launch day for six and a half hours. So thanks to everybody who came out for that. That was really cool and fun. And um, you know, like like I, I kind of talked about it uh there too. Like just really meaningful, you know, to get to sort of share that launch with people and huge thanks to Team Reptile who gave us a code for Bomb Rush Cyberfunk and everything. So that was great. We're gonna talk a lot more about that pretty soon. Um, but the amount of like, we, we had a lot of games released this week, a lot of games that we, uh, you know, have had the privilege to spotlight, made a lot of videos on the YouTube channel, um, and, and have played like, just played a lot of things. Like in addition to putting, I am now north of 20 hours in Bomb Rush Cyberfunk approaching 100%. I have unlocked all of the characters. I am basically all I have left to do in that game is like pick up like the outfits and the graffiti and the stuff in the, in the world that's hidden. Um, but you know, like that's all I have left to do in that. I've put like somewhere between 10 and 15 hours in vampire survivors. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm also playing all this other stuff. Um, you know, marble it up. I played a bit of that this past week. I have had to cool off with it. I will, I'm going to be coming back to it this week, but, um, you know, with everything else that came out, Bomb Rush in particular, like I had to back burner marble it up for a few days, 
But uh, but I did play a little multiplayer with that with Bowser, uh, which was cool. Uh, she and I got into the the Discord chat and just played like some some Marble It Up online together. Nice. And uh, we played basically Marble Rocket League, which was a lot of fun. Nice. Nice. And uh, it, that, that's <laughs> like a lot of the modes are really built for a lot of like players. That one though is really fun, even if it's just one on one. So. Uh, so we, we had a lot of fun with that ton of like maps that are specific, like only for the multiplayer, which is cool. Uh, Fulia came in at one point and just spectated, just watched us play, uh, which was neat. So yeah, had, had, you know, had a good time with that, but you know, this week I really want to kind of get back into the weeds, start getting back into setting some times and, you know, like Matt shy guy city has been putting up times and like, I haven't, I haven't had the chance to go in and and pass up some of them. So I need to, I need to get in there and do that this week. (laughs) Get Um, that itch. (laughs) I got, I got to make time to do that. He's, he's pulled off some pretty cool stuff in there that he's been posting in the discord. We do have, if anybody's playing marble it up, we do have a dedicated channel in the game hubs section of our discord. Uh, just for marble it up so you can share your times your crazy clips and the skips that you found and stuff so that's that's been fun um but i played flutter away on the channel which came out like a week ago uh so big thanks to uh to the publisher for giving us a code for that um it was it's it's basically like a very short and sweet kind of like photography game you would kind of call it a walking sim but like it's about kind of like taking in the sights it's like this uh you're you're this character who goes into like a forest like a like a sort of like rainforest environment you're taking pictures of butterflies and capybaras there's a capybara named copy barbara in the game so that's very good 10 out of 10 Cappy Barbara <laughs> and her little capybara babies that you can take pictures of you can play through the game in like an hour hour and a half it's not super long but there's also a lot of like um conditions that you have to to do to like trigger events kind of Pokemon Snap-ish. Um oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that are kind of like off the beaten path to where like uh Lockleth streamed it on her channel. She played it for three hours, and even she didn't see she only got like 86% or something like that. So it's the kind of game where like you can go from A to Z pretty quickly, but if you stop and smell the roses, you can probably get three, four hours out of the game. Um, but it's neat. There's a video on the YouTube channel. Very cute, very like cozy, very zen, and uh, Copy Barbara alone is worth you know checking out the video for at least. I'm gonna um, get a Copy Barbara just so I can name it Copy Barbara now. Uh, you know what? Um, my wife and I recently got to meet a, a capybara and pet one. Her name was Coconut. Uh, there's an interactive zoo in Houston, Texas that we went to, and we got to yeah, we got to meet a capybara named Coconut. She was very good. She liked carrots. It was cute. That um, seems that seems on brand. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> shout outs to Coconut, the capybara. <laughs> um, got to play this game, Curse Crackers, for whom the bell toils. Toils, um, yes. Toils, not tolls, which is what I thought it was for a long time. But no, it is for whom the bell toils because the main character is this like gypsy acrobat named Bell with a uh, like huge French braid with a bell at the end of it and has a floating magical bell companion named Chime 
that she is able to throw around bit kind of like um, a bit on the nose. <laughs> you, you, you can throw it around and recall chime like to use as like a weapon. You can use chime as like a double jump effectively because you can jump in the air, throw chime underneath you and then bounce off of chime, which is neat. You can even throw chime at a diagonal, which needs to be used for um, bonus rooms and challenge rooms. But uh, curse crackers is like this very well done game boy color. Yeah. Like, platformer very like the aesthetic the music is pitch perfect uh it's it's really cool made by a small team and as a matter of fact published by kitten krista's uh company never a minute um or rather it's not really a publishing company they're like a consulting company but they're handling like the marketing and the influencer relations for the game um so that was that, that was kind of funny it was actually how the game got onto my radar is kitten krista talked about it and their involvement with it and um so it they, sounds like they did their jobs well they did yeah and and so big thanks to them they they were the ones that gave us a code for it yes um so but but curse crackers it's out now on the eShop. there's a video on the youtube channel as well showing it off if you are into these kind of like you know very fluid it's very like parkour based you can you can sprint slide um because she's an acrobat because bell's an acrobat you can do this kind of like air ballet like if you sprint go into a slide by pressing down immediately after a sprint and then jump she's sort of like just like twirls in the air and you can like arch it to like land on enemy's head and then like keep bouncing and keeping like a line going like the movement feels really good I could imagine this game came out on PC last year and I can imagine the speed runs for this game are buck wild. So <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's really cool. Uh, curse crackers. If you're into these kind of retro platformers, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, check that one out. Uh, we also, thanks to our friends at pop agenda, got um, uh, this game that came out this week called shotgun King, the final checkmate, uh, which is one of the funniest games I've played in quite some time. <laughs> um, this is chess, but you play as the, the black King who's, uh, whose you know kingdom denizens, servants, bishops, knights, and all of that. Even your wife have all left you uh, to join the like the the white king's army, uh, like your typical chess match. And he's out for bloody vengeance with a royal shotgun. Um, and it is like you do, it, like you do. It is a sort of like pixel art roguelike, basically strategy game. Um, Chess itself is irrelevant. You don't need to know how to play chess to play this game. Murder chess is very different from regular chess, as it turns out. Because um, I don't know how to play regular chess very well. So, you know, I came into it with very little knowledge of chess and I did okay. Um, there's also a video on the YouTube channel. But you uh, you come into, like, each floor of the run is a chessboard, effectively. And the way that the opponents can move is is true to how they can move in chess but you also have to move and like kind of position yourself correctly to get shots off for your shotgun and take them all out before a running out of ammo or b being trapped or or destroyed by some of the opponent chess piece it's you against the world effectively um and because it's a roguelike between floors you uh you choose from a set of like power-ups and like boons and buffs the interesting thing is every time you get the choice of doing one between rounds, you're, you're, you're given a selection of two at once. 
So it's like, I get a buff, but so do the enemies. Maybe they get an extra piece on this side. Maybe they get like, you know, extra space to move, you know, whatever the case may be. So, but it's fine. Really you have cool. a shotgun. But it's, it's fine because you have a shotgun. It's all good. Um, it's super, it's super fun. Like I, uh, I, I really like it a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's just like, it's silly. The writing is, you know, is very like over the top and, um, yeah, it's, it's worth looking at again. Check out the YouTube video, uh, shotgun King, the final checkmate, uh, <laughs> good game. Thanks to pop agenda. Uh, but the last thing that I'll, that I'll talk about, I, I want to try to be brief because again, just been playing a lot of video games, but born of bread, uh, has a demo on the European eShop. Eric, not on the not on the North American eShop, only on the EU one. Uh, EU and Australia, I think. I don't know if it's on the Japanese one or not, but it's not on the North American one. This game, I had heard of it, like I was familiar with it, but like it wasn't really something that I knew much about beyond the fact that I knew that this was like a Paper Mario inspired like indie paper Mario style RPG. That's all I knew going in. Um, but I made, you know, we, we have various eShop accounts for all in. So like we have all in like a Japanese and Australian account, blah, blah, blah. Cause sometimes we get codes for other regions and the switch is region free. Um, so it's helpful to have that. If y'all, you know, if y'all ever, the switch is region free, so you can easily make, you know, another account, Google it. It's easy to do. You can do it. I promise. Um, I hopped on the eShop, downloaded this demo, and I was so impressed by this demo. It's about an hour long, and it is just, like, it immediately, it just, like, the, the presentation is stunning. It is, like, one of the best-looking games I've seen on the Nintendo Switch. Like, it is beautiful. Um, not only does it have that, like, typical, like, 2D aesthetic, but it renders, like, these little tiny objects in 3D that, like, you can interact with in a tangible way, they all have their own like physics and everything. So you play as this character loaf, who is this little boy, <laughs> this, <laughs> this mute boy who is like this kind of amorphous boy made of dough. Um, Papa Baker, the, uh, the, the Royal Baker of the Queens, you know, castle or whatever, uh, sort of accidentally creates loaf. Um, and there's, you know, th there's the stuff that's implied, like this kind of like other world where there's like these fantasy demons and stuff that are kind of taking over. And there's some intrigue there. It seems like there may be refugees escaping like their messed up reality or whatever. Um, going to be curious to see like what's going on with that. But um, events happen. And you are now this sentient little boy and you're running around his, like just in the beginning of the game, like in the very beginning of the demo, you're running around his kitchen and you can jump up like on the tabletop and kick down like the little carrots and the meat and the bread and all that stuff. Like everything is like interactable. I was so impressed by that. Um, the lighting is like stunning like there's a moment when you you go up to the sort of like queen's court and there's this window pane that the light is like coming in through and the window pane has like a uh, lattice work on it and it like accurately reflects off of loaf's body as you walk it's like really stunning to look at this game um you in the demo pick up your first party member who is this little like tanuki boy named lint 
Um, the writing is like very fun and cute. The, the combat is kind of what you expect from a Paper Mario style game. Very timing based, you know, uh, but the music is excellent. Like I was so impressed, so impressed by this demo. It, it went from, I kind of know what this is to, I need to play this now. Like it, it, it immediately sold me on the game. I have something like that. I finally got uh, our friend Sparky did a video on a game called Okinawa Rush. Uh, oh yeah, that that I picked up. That's also not on the US eShop, but I have my physical copy that also came in this week. That hopefully I'll have time for. But yeah, there's games coming out all over the world, Seth. Even it's games crazy. coming out in other regions that we don't have time to play. Born of Bread will release. Um, the, the developers, I, you know, I posted the video. There is a video on the YouTube channel. If y'all want to watch me play the demo, about an hour long. Um, it's like, it's great. If you're a Paper Mario fan, you should make an EU eShop account and download this demo. Like, Paper Mario fans should be very excited for Born of Bread. Um, it, it, it is great. And, um, yeah, I posted that and the developers let me know in the demo, it says coming this summer, but they were very forthright to, to tell me on Twitter, uh, like, Hey, it's not coming this summer. It's going to come a little bit later because the summer is too stacked with releases. <laughs> so like they, they literally said that and it's like, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> because you're much better. Falls not much bad. I don't know when it's coming out, but they, you know, they, they literally, uh, let me actually I'll read their, their tweet. They said, so happy you like the demo. The game is actually coming a little bit later this year since summer is packed with releases, but we're extremely excited to finally let people see everything we've been working on. So, and then dear villagers, the publishers of the game said your feedback warms our hearts. So they're, they're very, you know, it's a small team making this and you can just feel the love and the passion and just the, just the craft, man. Like it really is stunning uh, to to look at. Like running on the Switch, I can't wait to play this thing in handheld on the OLED. Um, it's got like a oh, long and in- yeah, it has like a long initial load when you get into it. But once you get into it, like it is pretty seamless. Um, it's just yeah, I was so impressed, so taken with that demo. Born of Bread, Paper Mario fans, put that immediately on your radar. Yeah, very you're, you're, very good. Your anticipation for that should be rising that's oh that's right yeast that's right that's right it should be should be rising well yeah you punned you got it yay crushed it uh but of course uh (laughs) of course eric we we should uh move into uh some some of the main events here this week uh you know bomb rush cyberfunk was my most anticipated game of the year even more than zelda i've been waiting for this game a true follow-up to Jet Set Radio Future, depending on the day you ask me, might be, it's right up there with Majora's Mask as just some of my favorite games of all time. Um, so a true follow-up over 22 years later to JSRF uh, has has arrived. You and I have played it. Yep. We have rolled credits. We have tagged all of New Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And we are here to bring you our full thoughts this week in the Indie Showcase. So with Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, we have gotten a true spiritual successor to a franchise from Sega that has been dormant for over two decades. And admittedly, I don't have any experience with that franchise. However, my amazingly talented co-host, uh, yeah, I mean, you've, you've played a little Jet Set Radio in JSRF in the past, haven't you, buddy? Yeah. J- JSRF in particular is like, I like 
the first Jet Set Radio, the vibes were there, but it's a Dreamcast game. Like, it, it doesn't hold up that well, you know, but like, JSRF, well, no joke, like, that game totally held up. Like, I, I played it recently. I can vouch. Well, one of the things about the game is one of the most striking things about the game that remains to this day is, of course, the visual style. That admittedly that blocky, yes, yeah. uh, but incredibly striking, cel-shaded visual style uh, that, you know, many, uh, you know, I think many of the most fondly remembered games on the Dreamcast wound up opting for back in the day, stuff like Space Channel 5 and Power Stone, uh, you know, Jet Set Radio, Crazy Taxi. Uh, and because of that cartoonish kind of uh, street art style, like that cell shaded look really did kind of give off this vibe of being almost uh, graffiti in motion, essentially. I do yeah. think that helped to really set itself apart. And I do think that uh, really endeared itself to the youth of the late 90s when uh, – when it came out and you are by far not the only person who has been pining for a follow-up from Sega for a very long time. And we've gotten, you know, crumbs of JSRF over the past, you know, 20 years, like beat shows up as a playable character in uh, super monkey ball, uh, banana mania. He's in Sega, Sonic and Sega all-stars racing. And there's a Tokyo stage. Yeah. Exactly. So we've gotten references and Sega knows that the games exist. However, uh, as seems to be the norm these days, leave it to an incredibly talented small indie studio to finally say, we're going to do what Sega don't. Um, And this is the team behind Lethal League, a game that we did an indie showcase on a while back. As a matter of fact, go ahead and check that out. It's a game that Seth and I adore. It's this wonderful arcade sports style uh, game that maybe has my favorite versus multiplayer moment between me and Seth ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it is Pong, but a fighting game, basically. Essentially, like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. this is you know, to date, I think kind of their magnum opus. They crowdfunded this. This was a big passion project of Team Reptiles. Uh, and sure enough, here we have, uh, again, just kind of a true follow-up to JSRF. And be- before we get into just the game, Seth, uh, you know, you and I have both played it. We've both rolled credits, but it would be disingenuous of me to say that this indie showcase means as much to one of us as it does the other uh, so just uh, just very briefly, I want you to take me through kind of your mindset counting down, you know, in the days and maybe even the week before, because I know for you, this was such a big deal. Yeah, I mean, like, Just Radio Future, you came out in 2002 for the original Xbox um, in February 2002, and it was, you know, bundled in, famous two-pack with Sega GT 2002, and when I got my original Xbox, that was the game that I had. That that was what I had. Um, I had that the, the Xbox itself, and I had that two-pack. I wasn't able to get, you know, any other games. I was just happy to have the thing, and you, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit, and... Um, and, and so I played Jet Set Radio Future. I was exposed to it that way. And, you know, I'm a teenager at that time. 
and kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, you are kind of like figuring out who you are. Those are your formative years. That's when you're learning your identity. What is your style? What music do you like? What, you know, how do you like to dress? Like, what are your interests? And Jet Set Radio Future is what I sort of accredit to, um, to my orientation point of all of that. Like the anti-authoritarian message. I've always been a kind of anti-authoritarian person. Weirdly. Um, I've always kind of marched to the beat of my own drum in a lot of ways. And I think that Jet Set Radio Future's kind of message of like fighting back against the force that would try to stamp out what makes you you. The entire premise of JSRF is literally like there is a, you know, a government body that is on a cosmic level, you know, trying to stamp out the thing that makes me and my friends, you know, individuals. Um, and that was to a teenager the most, I mean, that's the most powerful message a teenager can hear and absorb from a game. And it's, the game was made by young people. Like the average age of the development staff of that game was, I think, 21. So um, for Bomb Rush Cyberfunk to come out uh, and be made by a group of young people with Team Reptile, an independent team uh, who's doing this all on their own. I think in the credits I counted like 18 names or something like that. Um, it's, it's a pretty small group making a game of this scale by far the biggest thing that they've ever made. Um, they worked on this game for like over three years. Um, and like to, to take this on and to create like this kind of new, this new version of this old thing to say like, this must exist because Sega has not released a Jet Set Radio game and yeah, over 22 years now. You know, like they haven't released a new Jet Set Radio game. There have been a couple. There was like that leak earlier this year. Maybe they're doing something. Maybe something's kicking up or whatever. But like for one reason or another, Jet Set Radio is lying dormant. And Team Reptile says, no, like this kind of message should exist. This world, this flow, like the way that you sort of just carve through this world, the graffiti, the art, the music, like this kind of thing should be, it, it must exist. And they took that on, and that is kind of like the idea that another teenager in 2023 could discover Bomb Rush Cyberfunk the way that I discovered Jet Set Radio when I was a teenager. Like, like that is what this is all about to me. Like, the thought that this could mean that to somebody else the way that Jet Set Radio Future meant that to me. Uh, like, that is like what I think I kind of brought into this. So... Everything that I'm going to say, I do have critiques with the game. I don't think the game yeah. is perfect at all. No, no. I, I do think I, there are a couple notable things yes. that, that, that we can criticize the game for constructively, of course. Yes, for sure. For sure. There, there is plenty to criticize, but like that, you know, none of the critiques that we're going to get into take away the shine of that for me of like, this is a magical game that has completely nailed. I mean, it is Jet Set Radio 3. Like, it is. Like, they... Everything that they have done here and the way that they have done it, it almost, like... If Sega made Jet Set Radio 3 today, it wouldn't be as good as this. Because this has that, like, that indie vibe. Like, 
a perfect example, the soundtrack of this game yeah. is they went through the trouble of individually licensing all of those for creators to be able to use in streams, in videos, whatever, completely license-free with no fear of copyright strikes. They even said like, hey, we're not releasing an official Bomb Rush Cyberpunk soundtrack on like Spotify because we want you to just go and seek out the artists. You know, like this team and this game, there's so much care put into the art the you know the the independent artists that submitted graffiti for the game like it all feels of that, like a product of the underground it does like it feels like something that just is this like magical little thing that is just the perfect ultimate representation of what they meant to to make and again it's not perfect but in 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 all of the meaningful ways they have nailed it absolutely nailed it well, I knew you wanted to get a lot of that off your chest, so I figured I would <laughs> give you the opportunity to to say that first and foremost. But but getting into the game, actually getting into Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, uh, you begin uh, in police lockup, essentially, yeah. and the the player character very quickly realizes that something's going on. There's some type of breakout. There's some type of commotion. And you are a graffiti artist who winds up getting broken out of prison by this guy named Trice, who runs this uh, crew of writers, AKA graffiti artists called the bomb rush crew. And you are the, like the entire intro of the game is you essentially just escaping with Trice. And I don't want to spoil a lot of what goes on, but suffice it to say, something happens in the intro that requires the player character to seek out some new headgear. <laughs> it, it, it becomes a redhead redemption uh, pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> well done, sir. Um, well done, sir. I, I, can't, I can't take too much credit. That's, that's a Sam third strongest mole joke. But oh, it, it nice. Is, it has lived in my head rent-free ever since he said it <laughs> on my stream the other night. Um, Redhead Redemption is like the that I I can't I can't unhear that. Um, well done, yeah, Sam. Shout, shout out to Sam for that joke. Um, but yes, it, it's uh, the the story setup is is pretty wild. Yeah. But they they also in a way that Jet Set Radio Future really doesn't because because um, JSRF has like a, a lot of exposition at the beginning too. the way they did it in that game was DJ professor K who is one of only a few like fully voiced characters in the game comes through and he just sort of sets it up. He says, Hey, this is Tokyoto. These are the GGs. These are some of the rival crews. This game does that too, but it also sets up this notion of the big three, these like three original sort of writers who kind of, you know, who, who all were sort of like working together. There's this concept of all city, meaning like you need to kind of rule over all five boroughs of new Amsterdam where the game takes place. And yes, there is some backstory. There's some intrigue. There's some, you know, a couple little plot twists in there. Uh, and you know, way more story actually than I was expecting in the game. There is. There is quite a bit of plot development. Every uh, chapter in the game winds up bringing some pretty interesting developments. And I I will say, like, I like a lot of what's going on with the story. It's, it's really out there. That's yeah. not necessarily a knock against the game, because I think for a game like this, uh, a game that is not really all that attached to reality in general, 
I think it's perfectly okay to be a little out there. But I will say, tonally, I do think the game flip-flops a little bit. It's like this bright and colorful and almost playful and fun and cartoonish. And then there are just some moments where it gets like, like, wow. So like out there in kind of a, an unnecessarily violent way. And, oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Uh, and, and I just thought that that was, it, it just feels like, you know, if I was watching a cartoon, like a Saturday morning cartoon, and all of a sudden something happened like out of Mortal Kombat, it would just feel really out of place, essentially. And I just, I had that feeling a couple times, like tonally, there were a couple flip-flops and a couple times where, you know, the, the story went to places that seemed at odds with the overall vibe of the game, essentially. Uh, but overall... Uh, I did dig the story. I think it, if I was going to say one other thing too, it almost felt like they were writing it on the fly because some of the reveals and some of the stuff that happens is just like <laughs> just nuts and almost out of left field. Uh, but at the end of the day, folks, what I will say about the story is it goes places and just strap in. Yeah, I like my only big complaint. I mean, I like I can see where you're coming from. That that yeah. didn't that stuff didn't bother me. I don't think as much, but um, mm-hmm. I I think I just sort of was like, I'm here. I'm here for the party. Like I'm wherever you're going to take me. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead and yeah. take me. Right. <laughs> um, and there there's some you know like Jesse Radio Future has some pretty wacky kind of disturbing stuff that happens in it too. So it, it's kind of tonally consistent with like the the point of order that. Um, that JSRF has too. Like in JSRF, like characters get kidnapped and like they're like there's stuff, there's like body horror stuff that happens. The ending of that game takes place in this weird, like cosmic dimension that was absolutely their inspiration for the like weird kind of mental graffiti world that uh that you go to a few times in this game. Um so like there there's a couple of like strange little things like that. My my biggest issue with the game's story actually is the ending. Um, it, to me feels like they kind of like maybe ran out of money, (laughs) like at the end. Um, I felt like it was a little like abrupt. Um, the final confrontation is like, it's, it's cool. Um, it's a bit like, it's a little too like straightforward, I think for me. And then like after it's done, it's just kind of done. And then there's like a final, there's a final sort of missive, which is nice. And I do really like, um, the, the, there's a couple lines actually that, that I really enjoy that I, that I wrote down here. Um, you know, and, and I won't, you know, some of them have some NSFW language that I won't re- repeat, but, um, <laughs> there, there's a, there's a line here, uh, at the end that says there are things you can't change your age, your roots, you better own and rock that in the end, what defines you is what you do with the stuff you got, you know? And like in that way, like what the game sort of leaves you with, I think is, is cool, but like it did feel like it kind of like popped and fizzled there at, at the end for me. Um, there is, I'll say a lot of like stuff you can do post credits, um, which is also cool. There's like a ton there. There is like yeah, over a dozen unlockable characters uh, in this game, not unlike jet set radio future. And some of them you have to do like some kind of like weird stuff 
you know, to, to do, which is, which is cool. And, and again, very <laughs> true to what this game is, uh, is referencing, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's probably my only, like, I guess, gripe with the, the stories. I, the, the ending didn't like 1000% work for me, but it's fine. Yeah. But it, it is a lot more, there is a lot more narratively here than I would say most, uh, most teen, uh, safe, uh, you know, kind sure. of cartoonish adventure games. And I did appreciate, you know, how much the narrative meant to the game itself. And they weren't just trying to say, it's like, okay, here's a threadbare motivation to play the game. And then, you know, you play the game up until the ending with zero character growth. So I did certainly appreciate that they were not content just to do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Many but, of the characters uh, have actual like arcs, which is to be fair, like Jet Set Radio Future has like none of that. Like the characters yeah. are just kind of, they're just kind of there. Like they're, they're blank slates. They're cool. The designs are great and you like them, but they don't actually have like a tangible, you know, like story or growth. And these characters do, um, you know, a, I think a big point of difference between this, I mentioned the, uh, the fully voiced, uh, character work that, that was in Jet Set Radio Future. That is not here. Um, which I do think is a bit of a bummer. The characters have voices, like little kind of like quips and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. We but, see this a lot in, in modern games where characters will have almost grunts or even just a couple words of spoken dialogue meant to kind of emulate an entire passage of spoken dialogue. Right. You'll, like, you'll hear the, you'll, you'll hear the character say, Oh, Hey there. But the actual spoken line of dialogue is like, you know, three sentences long. Yeah. And that, and that feels in that way, it feels true. Cause, cause Jet Set Radio is like that too. You'll come up to gum and she's just like, Hey you, you know? And then like, but she's <laughs> going on this like soliloquy, you know, and has like all these different, you know, things she's saying that, that all, that all tracks. But, um, in Jet Set Radio often like DJ professor K will be fully voiced. And then like in JSRF, there are all of the characters that are fully voiced in JSRF are purposefully, I think, uh, figures of authority. It is DJ Professor K, it's Hayashi, and it's Rokaku Goji, um, the villain of the game. And like all the other characters, though, are like how all the characters in Bomb Rush are. So I, I almost don't think, I think it was intentional, I guess, in other words. Like part of me wishes that there was more full voice acting, um, but, I, but I also think that maybe there was intentionality to that, given what they're sort of being a spiritual successor to. So. It could have could have also become a budget concern as well. So maybe, yeah, maybe I'm I'm not sure, but but I have you know that's that's my my hunch is that I think it was a choice. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But absolutely, this game nails the visual aspect of what I think this game, this franchise, this series should look like in 2023. I adore yeah. the way this game looks. It is a perfect representation of what a cel-shaded game in my opinion should be in 2023 and it just it pops in all the right ways. It's perfect. Yeah, I like I have always said, probably even on this show, that like if you just took like Jet Set Radio Future because it was cel-shaded, you could put it on the shelf today. And it would, and it would stand up to everything else. And I still, like I played the game right before this came out. I still feel that way. And sure enough, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk has so perfectly captured, 
that game's aesthetic. And yeah, like it still looks gorgeous. And I will say New Amsterdam and like the, the boroughs of New Amsterdam, I don't think are quite, they're not quite as I think striking as Tokyo toe. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're really good. Like it's like 90% of the way there. And I really like actually, and they the, definitely um, feel different. They feel unique totally. and they feel individual. Yes. They, they nailed that. That, that is really great. Um, like there's a whole section that is just like a mall, which is yeah. like super fun, just a playground, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and like they, they've totally nailed that. And I, and I really like the way the game sort of like slowly opens up its environments to you. Uh, cause when you come in, like in, in JSRF, you go into a stage and that's it. You have like access to the stage in this, you are kind of like going through a little bit of an arc in the stage and it is slowly sort of revealing itself to you. And the stages end up being quite big. Yeah. I was actually um, surprised at how much room you have, yeah. uh, at how much actual, uh, you know, uh, movement space or how much or, uh, real estate that the yeah. individual chapters take up. Yeah. You talk about a mall like that is a massive, it's massive huge. mall. It is so big. I would, you know, the, you get to the first part of the mall and I'm like, finally a more manageable, you know, stage, finally a more manageable <laughs> map. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, that's just the beginning. And then it opens up and you're like, Oh wow. But wow. Yeah, there's like there like the mall has like three sections that are at least as big as the first one. Like it's it's pretty impressive and yeah, they all have like a very sort of unique visual identity and and one thing that this game does that that I really liked about um JSRF as well. Another thing that like cuz it's one thing to be colorful, to have like the hard lines and the cell shading and the vibes and the character designs. They completely nail that. But like one thing that JSRF did that I've always appreciated that this game does too is it's also not afraid to be like ugly, like grimy, like to have realistic feeling areas with like litter and trash and like you know, like, like NPCs, like sort of like crowding the streets. And like, there are areas of the game, despite the fact that it's very like hyper stylized and, and colorful, there are areas of the game that look like real, like real, like slummy, you know? And, uh, and I really like that about, about the game. Like, I, I like how much kind of like junk there is sometimes. So yeah, they know yeah, that the presentation extends to the menus and, and even, uh, <laughs> this flip phone because the game is permanently set in the mid two thousands. Uh, you wind <laughs> up getting this adorable little flip phone that controls, uh, basically like all your menu functions. And it's such a small touch, but I love how you open it up and it's there at the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. And you can use your little arrow buttons to navigate through it. You can see messages and you can see the map and, and all this stuff. But I, I love that not only do you see it down in the bottom left, like your character, while you have it up, while you're looking at it, your character also has it in their hand and they're looking down at it while you have the menu up on screen. It's a small touch, but it's, I love that touch so, so much. It really helps bring you into this world and into the headspace of these characters. And I think oh. that is a good microcosm of how, detail centric they were trying to be with the presentation of this game because in addition to that 
I mean, you're talking about a game in which you perform and which you tag a lot of buildings with street art. So there's going to be quite a bit of graffiti in the game. And if we're talking about visuals, man, do I love me some street art. And they have such a wonderful, varied collection on display for you to use throughout the course of this game. That was one of my favorite things was finding new pieces of art and you know, using them and implementing them within the game. Uh, I, I've i always really, really liked, despite the fact I, I never got uh, the chance to play Jet Set Radio or JSRF, I've always really loved that graffiti and street art culture. Mark Echo's Getting Up Contents Under Pressure is genuinely one of my favorite PS2 games. Uh, and I've always just really been attracted to to just that art style. So anytime I have the opportunity to do something like this, I all, man, I just eat that stuff up. And again, just the graffiti in this game looks so good. I do yeah. wish there was a little bit more individualized. The, uh, the individual playable characters only have a single piece of exclusive art that they can right. do, but there is still a, a very large selection of stuff that uh, of art pieces that you can use in this game to tag the heck out of new Amsterdam. There's dozens. I mean, there's, yeah. and, and a lot of them are like scattered in little hidden areas of the, of the different like open worlds and burrows. Um, each character has got four outfits as well. And again, there are, I think like there's, I mean, there's like 16 to 18. I don't know what the full count is. There's a lot of characters in this game and they all have four outfits that I will, are, I will say all the outfits I saw were just color swaps, but still for the most part, they're palette swaps. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but, but like, it, it's such a nice, like little extra thing to do in the world because they didn't bring back the concept of graffiti souls from JSRF, which is, um, in, in JSRF, one of the things you would find in the overworld is the secret tape that would give you a list of like, you know, eight little challenges to do, you know, score this much in this stage, you know, do this specific line or whatever. And then a graffiti soul would populate in the world. This game doesn't have that, but instead they've got music hidden yep. throughout the world. They've got graffiti hidden, uh, hidden throughout the world. And they've got these outfits hidden. So they're like, they're everywhere and they put them in really cool places. And I think it's really kind of given you a lot of like, to the point where now, like I'm having a lot of fun just going through and finding where they've hidden all those little things. So, um, so that's really cool. And yeah, a lot of them are palette swaps, but like some of them, I just love so much. Like the second I got bells, uh, I think it's her, I think it's it's either her summer or her autumn outfit where she's her hair goes to white and her uh and her outfit is like all black. She's got this kind of like 2B. Oh, from, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's so good. It's an instant upgrade. Like like Belle, like I love Belle. It, it's so <laughs> funny because so like she, I love her. I love, yeah, she's she's the prototypical always on her phone, like addicted yes. to her phone, young little valley. Like she's a great girl. She's a great character, but she is very much a, a, a reference and kind of a, a play on that uh, trope these days, that young little high school girl that never puts her totally. phone down. Yeah, totally. And, and I, they, they all have got like great character designs, you know, and, um, and, and I really like too, that like another, you know, I think good change, um, from JSRF is the fact that like the character is a pure aesthetic thing. You can choose who you want to play as Mm -hmm. and like in JSRF, they had stats. So like 
those characters, there was an objective, like best character for the situation. So I always really liked to play gum in, in JSRF, but gum had the least amount of health in the game. So you're almost like punished for playing the character you wanted to play as that is not the case here. And like, in addition to that, and we can, you know, when, whenever we get into gameplay, we can like marinate on this a little bit further, but mm -hmm. there are also like different ride styles that are also interchangeable. Um, so certain characters like will use a skateboard or BMX or inline skates. You can also swap those out at your will. The game really just kind of allows you to play your way and you, you bring up the graffiti. The graffiti is one of, I think, the biggest improvements over over J JSRF. Like in JSRF, you would just see little icons that you would just hold down the right trigger, spray graffiti. Like, God forbid you don't have enough spray cans collected to, to do the graffiti you want to do. In this game, spray cans are not a resource. You always have them. You don't have to worry about it. Yep. Um... And it brings up this like weird like connect the dots menu. Yeah, it's like a it's like a QTE. It's like a little micro game. You yeah. essentially every piece of graffiti art in the game is effectively like a code, like unlocking your phone. Like if you have an Android phone, where you yeah, have to like exactly. slide and yeah. Exactly. There yep. are multiple different sizes of graffiti arts. You've got uh, like a four peg size, you've got a five peg size and a six peg size. And essentially the like the pegs that you go to in what order the pegs you go to is the piece of graffiti art that you use. So if say if you're at a four piece uh, tag and the art you want to use is down to right to left to up to middle then that's the, the motion that you have to do. You can do whichever you want, and you can just roll the stick around however you want to if you just want to see random. But if you want to use a specific one, you actually have to learn the motion how to do that. It's still very quick and very intuitive, but it does force you. It's like if you like a certain one, you have to technically learn how to do that. Right. Yeah, which I really like. And I like I that too. you can kind I love of... That. Like, I, I think it is so much better than just like, hey, here's a spot on the map. Hold down right trigger if you have the graffiti you need. Like, they've removed those barriers and made it feel way more naturalistic. Uh, I think it's so smart. I think I think it's it's a really cool sort of like uh, upgrade to, uh, to, to the source. So, yeah. In uh, some way, you actually feel like you're doing the graffiti. Right. Like, you're, you're doing the motion on the stick. Like, you're actually engaging. You're actively engaging with the action of, you know, doing the tag. As opposed to just, you know, mashing a button or as opposed to just holding a button. There are, you know, there there's a dynamic set of directions that you can directly influence that has a real-time change on what art you're doing. So, yes. uh, that, I think that was a great design choice. Now, Really cool. Yeah, I, I do want to come back to what you just said about the character, Seth, because the characters, the vehicles, uh, I do think that that is uh, a great point to bring up. I think some people will be very happy with the fact that uh, they don't feel punished or they can play whichever character they want, regardless of uh, who it is and not feel like they have any detriment or not feel yeah. like they're, they're at a disadvantage. I admittedly would have liked to have seen maybe some type of individualism between the playable characters where 
not necessarily that they have stats, but maybe each one of them has uh, their own passive ability or something. Uh, maybe one of them uh, is harder to hit by the enemies, or maybe one of them uh, slides faster on rails or something like that. You know, not necessarily anything super different, but a little bit of individualism in a perfect world I would have liked to have seen. But again, I just think that's a, an apples and oranges type of thing. It is totally. Um, yeah. But when it comes to the vehicles, I honestly keep going back and forth on that because like you said, you do have, as opposed to in JSRF, which I believe was only inline skates, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. In this game, you have inline skates, you have skateboards, and you have bikes. You have little BMX bikes. And the characters have their own natural vehicles. Uh, The main player character, once you get out of the intro, the main player character's quote-unquote natural vehicle becomes a skateboard. Uh, Bell's natural is inline skates, and the best character in the game, Trice, his natural vehicle is... <laughs> Trice love, is your, your favorite, huh? Yeah. I love Trice, man. He's great. I like him too. Yeah. I love I, I love Trice because when you fall off an edge, which you're going to do a lot in this game, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when fall, what he says just has me rolling every time. Pretty good. But, he, but he's yeah. genuinely just like a really cool character, and I, I really like Trice. But his natural vehicle is a BMX bike. Yeah. And it's really cool that they've expanded the number of vehicles, but despite the difference they are funk just like the characters they function exactly the same they control the same and the tricks you perform with them while animating differently because they are actually different vehicles in a practical gameplay aspect they also function the exact same so from a gameplay perspective it doesn't actually matter which one you have for any given situation because the inline skates the skateboard, the bike, they will all function and control and play exactly the same as all the others. And that's another thing is like, I, I do think they should control slightly differently, especially if you were somebody who maybe, I don't know, maybe would like your turns to be just a little bit tighter or maybe even a little looser. Maybe you didn't necessarily want to go as fast or maybe you want to go faster. I think having, and I know this would have taken more time, more resources and a lot more effort, but I do think there would have been value added to the game to give people the option between different feeling modes of transportation and allowing them to pick the one that feels best to them. And just saying, he's like, you know what? I'm not really feeling the way the bike controls. I'm just going to stick with skateboards and inline skates. Yeah, I am sure that that was considered at one point. Um, that wouldn't I've surprise gone, me. Yeah, yeah, I, I've gone back and forth on this a couple of times myself too because I think in a traditional like kind of school of thought with with uh, a traditional kind of game, I think I would agree. Like, you know, it, it, it is apples and oranges. It's if you yeah. if you do that, then all of a sudden you you have created something like if if for example the char- there were individual abilities for the characters then all of a sudden it's like oh like i'm feeling forced to play as trice or red or whoever for this situation because they're better in this situation yeah some players are going to like that some players are not going to right so they they've kind of like sort of said well let's just you know like on one hand 
um, options to pick like different control methods is like one way of giving the player options. On another hand, the, the sort of more loose way of giving player options is saying, well, nothing matters and just do whatever you think is cool, you know? And there's even what, what I will say though, is like, there are a couple of things in the overworld. For example, there are garages that will only open to you if you have BMX equipped yeah. at yeah. that time. So they do have that. Like there, there will be times if you're going for that where you will have to engage with, uh, with BMX. There's also a couple of areas in the game that are only accessible on foot, either via sliding. Cause you can only slide when you're, uh, when you're on foot or there's a specific, uh, maneuver that you can do only on foot that gets you the proper amount of height to reach certain areas. So yeah. like they, they have sort of gated a couple of little things like that. Um, most of them are optional and like, like I have to imagine that, that conversation was had during development, but, but it feels like a choice to me to just say like, all right, let's, you know, like, let's throw all of that out and let's just give people the option to do whatever they want with whoever they want, with whatever writability they want. And I do think it's apples and oranges. I think you're either going to like it or you're going to feel a little eh about it. I've been flip-flopping on it too. I think ultimately I come down on the side of like, I get it, you know? <laughs> I get it. Ultimately, I'm going to say, like, I'm not going to have an opinion on it. We're just here to tell you what the game is. And if that's right. something you like or something you don't like, you can plan your purchases accordingly. Um, but, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons that we don't like to score things is because, you know, so often stuff can come just down to preference and not necessarily being objectively good or bad. Yeah, I will say the the number one thing coming into this game that I was worried about was the controls, was the flow, the way that movement feels, because um, that is what JSRF like that. That is ultimately like I love a lot of things about that game, but that is my favorite thing about that game. Like the the way that you can just sort of, you know, <sighs> melt your your yourself into the controller and the things that are happening become an extension of your thoughts the way that like everything kind of strings together it feels so naturalistic you know and organic like that was what i was really worried the bomb rush cyberfunk was not going to nail and this is another instance where the movement the moment to moment movement the navigation through the world i think is better than JSRF. I genuinely am like, you could probably combo through 90% of this game. Probably. Genuinely. Yeah. And I, I can't, I cannot wait to see those videos. I cannot wait to see like unbroken combo, you know, full chapter. You could probably do the vast majority of this game with like unbroken, like the only thing breaking up your combo is cut cinematics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they've given you so many options and tools to continue these absurd chains. And they've integrated little mechanical things that incentivize you to sort of like retrain your brain that way to like, say like, Oh, like if I lean into my turns, my combo multiplier goes up, which is very, very important. You yes. know, the, the tricks that I'm doing in my combo provide me more of my boost more gauge. Boost bar. Yep. Yeah, and they've also worked in this really interesting, like kind of boost in midair, like this midair, like not quite a double yeah. jump. You, you don't get it's a ton of dash. height. 
Yeah, but you get like a little air dash with your with your boost as well, which I think all of these things together, the the boost, the combos, the the trick meter, like earning that boost back, you know, not having to spend in JSRF you would have to spend uh spray cans. You would have to expend 10 of your really? spray cans in order to boost. Yeah, 10 of your 30 total spray cans you would have to use anytime you wanted to boost. So they don't do that in this game. You will have these little like these little containers yeah. of like boost they're juice. Like, yeah, they're <laughs> like boost charges and you can collect those. Uh, but you'll get a ton of boost meter from uh, from doing tricks on rails and tricks and jumps. And uh, you'll get a ton of boost meter from tagging surfaces and actually doing graffiti. Uh so, you know, there's there's plenty of ways to get boost within the game. So you'll it's not a resource that, you know, you have to necessarily keep uh, and hold on to very tightly until you absolutely have to use it. No, feel free to use it uh, pretty often. Uh, I will say when it comes to the movement in the game. It does like just the movement feels really good, which is important. It is of paramount importance for a game like this, just moving around, blading around, biking around. However, it feels good to move around. Little caveat, I still think I fell into pits more than I should have. Um, there's, because of the grindy nature of a lot of the jumps, and when I say grindy, I mean like you can grind on rails. And I mean, you guys know, you you played a, a Tony Hawk game before you've played games like this before. And there's a ton of surfaces that have their own contextual situations and, you know, just jumping from one to another and comboing. It's so satisfying. It's so great. Uh, I, I will say there's, there's a couple times when the game was like, Oh, you want to jump onto that? I was like, no, I don't want to jump onto that. I wanted to jump onto this. It's like, Oh no, you wanted to jump onto this wall. I was like, no, I was actually trying to jump on the rail. So that did happen to me quite a few times, but at the end of the day, it still felt really fun to play. And the, and the time that I jumped into the pit accidentally, it was still funny, especially because one of the characters, uh, specifically has an absolutely yeah, that trice, hilarious that trice call out. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. so great. That, yeah. that actually had me laughing. So I was at least entertained. They, they brought, they, so they brought back the, the way that grinding worked in JSRF is like you, you have, and they actually worked it in the lore of Jet Set Radio where the skates have magnets in them. So like you, you just like attach to rails, essentially just like jumping up on them. And it, for the most part works, but yeah, because of that, like sometimes you will, you know, there is a little bit of jank from time yeah. to time to it, but yeah, there is. the, the trade off for me is worth it because it just creates Again, that sense of flow, like because you're not having to, the difference between this and something like Tony Hawk is you're not having to memorize like button combinations. You just are basically going between like, you know, the X button, the Y button, the A button. And that, that's like basically it. Just kind of like pressing those buttons in tandem in timing. You can't just like mash them. You have to, you know, no. kind of time them out a little bit. And, you know, in that way, I think like the kind of like simplistic trick system, like the... The sort of it reminds me of like uh of like Ultimate MVC three or something where it's like there's a very low barrier between me and doing something that looks really cool, <laughs> you know, like I can just kind of you know turn my brain off and get into that flow state. This game does that really well. Um, yeah, it's, it's like faster Prince of Persia. A little bit, yeah, I can see that. I think that um there's. There's also, and, and probably my single biggest complaint with the game, and we've talked about this 
a little bit in passing, but we should stop and really kind of marinate it, uh, marinate on it is the combat. Um, the combat in this game is bad. Like it's just it bad. Is. It is. Um, it's not good. I hate to say it, that, but it is. <laughs> it just, it, the game didn't need it. JSRF didn't need it. It is better. The combat in here is better than it was in JSRF. Cause in JSRF, you would get into these little arenas with police or whatever, the Rokaku group, and like you would just kind of run into them, knock them down, and spray them with graffiti. There is at least a little bit of enemy variety in Bomb yeah. Rush Cyberfunk. There is at least a little bit of like strategy, a little bit of like, you know, I got to take on this enemy this way. That's all well and good, but I truly, truly don't think that these games ever needed combat in them. Like, I understand wanting to have like this oppressive you know, sort of force bearing down at you. But like, I really don't think that we needed it at all, to be honest. I think that, I mean, at most modern games, most modern games with any adventure elements whatsoever are going to have some type of co uh, combat, some type of physical antagonistic force that you have to combat against. Uh, and combat is always a good way to add variety to a game. But I do kind of agree with you because there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, like the exploration itself feels really good. The movement and the parkour and the skating, and the grinding, you know, all of that skatery type stuff is fun. The tagging micro games. Uh, and then there's even some really other cool stuff in here. Like the, the crew battles are super fun and they add a decent amount of variety to the game as well. So I think with that alone, I think the game could have gotten away with it. I don't hate the fact that combat is in the game, but yeah, it, it is bad. There's no lock-on feature for enemies whatsoever. You basically just run into enemies and mash buttons. Uh, there is, like you can, after you land an attack or two, you can use the jump button as kind of a combo launcher, which yeah. is an area of attack that does a really decent amount of damage that the game never really tells you about and is super useful, especially later on in the game. Uh, and I do appreciate the fact, like you said, that there is variety. You've got your standard kind of grunt level police officers, and then they escalate all the way up to like, you know, attack a metal gear. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Metal gear racks essentially. Yeah. Well, and like, the the and actually the helicopters the the metal gear rex type of enemy even the turrets like yeah. that is what i would like to actually see more of because like the the on foot you know button mashy sort of combat i think just doesn't work it just feels clunky and bad it doesn't work it's like it's you know it's harmless like i don't i don't despise it or whatever i don't hate that it's in there but it's unnecessary i think it works way better when the um, when the enemy feels like an extension of the environment, when it's something like when it is something like when you're fighting that Metal Gear Rex thing and you have to kind of yeah. grind up its arm and like yeah, tag the side cool. of it, like that works way better to me. And the final encounter of the game is something that is like that blessedly. It would have been so much worse. Like, cause I was actually worried that the game's first like sort of encounter is like an on foot kind of encounter. I was like, Oh God, I hope not all of the big encounters are going to be like this. Yeah. You know, um, but, but, you know, they do mix, mix it up a little bit. There is this heat system in the game that I do think also ends up being like more annoying than anything else. Um, because you earn heat by doing graffiti, which is like the main action of the yeah. game. Like you are, you're going through these burrows and your goal is to tag them all in graffiti. 
Um, and whenever you do, you ratchet up this heat meter, not unlike a Grand Theft Auto exactly. kind of scheme. Grand Theft Auto star meters, yeah. The yeah. more bad, the more quote-unquote crime you do, like the more they find you criming, the more they're going to come after you, essentially. So that's it's, it's really simple. There, there's a couple kind of meters in this game that can be can be kind of boiled down to very base elements. Like there's also, uh, when it comes to the graffiti, there's also a rep meter, but essentially that's just every piece of graffiti having a point value. Yeah. And and it really, even that really only just exists to have like a, a number to work towards. Cause that's often yeah. how progress through the burrows are gated. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really all that is, but the, the heat meter, like as it ratchets up, as you get new levels of heat, new, uh, enemies are introduced. Like there'll be, yeah, the turrets and stuff and the helicopters, snipers and stuff like that to where eventually you just have like this army descending on you and that's all fine. But like, it is a barrier between you and like the fun of the game. And like, in particular, those turrets like they will literally fire out chains that are chasing mm-hmm. after you. The chains are easy to break off, but it's just annoying. Like it's just like, and especially when you finish the game and you're kind of in the post game, you're doing 100%, you're going to spend quite a lot of time in some of these areas and like tagging graffiti. And then like, Oh my God, I have this heat. It's easy to get rid of heat. You just have to go to one of those booths. <laughs> you you have to go to a porta potty and change your clothes. Yeah, and change your and like change your clothes. <laughs> that gets rid of all of your heat. That's all fine. There's also like the the unfortunate thing though is you don't have uh they're they're not like marked on your map on your phone. The map on your phone yeah. is already not that useful. Yeah, um, that's fair. The map isn't really good. You can get uh th- there are collectibles in the game that show you where the tags are that yes. show you where the the places are within the area that you can you know uh, add street art to. But yeah, there's fast travel in the game. There are uh, those booths in the game, but none of those ever appear on the map. So you've just got to kind of remember where they are, unfortunately. And there's also like a timer on them as well. You can't just use them uh, back and forth. And it wouldn't be so bad, I think, with the heat. Like most enemies, you, you can play for a while just avoiding the enemies. But of course, you know, once you get up to heat level four and five, you probably got to find a booth. Uh, but it, it's not too hard to, to uh, avoid enemies for a while, but yeah, you're eventually going to have to do something about it. I think it would have been even with the janky combat. I do think it would have been better if they had found a way to make them just isolated encounters um, where like, if you do a few, all of a sudden they realize you're doing something and they just send like a force out to get you. Yeah. That's what, that's how it is in JSRF. Like the, yeah. that's all basically just like, cause, cause I do think it like, it, it's an unfortunate heat, break. Cause it never goes away. They never stop yeah. coming after you. Right. In this it's, game. It, it's an unfortunate break in like what is actually great about the game. Like it, it is, it is a, it is an unnecessary barrier. I feel like between you and the moment to moment, like flow of the game, especially with those, those turrets, dude, I hate them so much. <laughs> like they, cause they grab you and they like try to pull you towards them. Yeah. It's so annoying. Um, and you know, They're again, easily like, enough taken care of, but yeah, it does like, <sighs> like, Oh, fine. Let me take care of this guy now. Yeah, it's just it's more of a it's more of an annoyance than anything and I don't like um feeling that way especially like in the post game. I kind of wish that there was like a toggle to just like turn it on or off. Like if that's something that you want to engage that's with, true. you can. You know? That's true. But, 
you know, it's 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 a minor complaint, but but it does. I do I do think it adds up. I do think I would have preferred a Jet Set Radio Future scheme where it is like certain moments that you have to deal with because it does make sense. Like often the little like stories in the burrows kind of culminate in a big police encounter anyways which makes so, sense yeah so like i'm i kind of would have been okay with just that to be honest if that was the police force in the game i kind of would have been cool with it so yeah there are scripted combat encounters in the game but yes there's also the heat system that just kind of always exists uh but i mean maybe turning it off would be one turning off like just the heat meter in general would be one thing that'd be cool for maybe a patch or something at least the game lets you turn off the music and. Not to say that I dislike the music in the game, far from it. But admittedly, though, like there's a couple songs in the game that just repeat the same word like 38 times in a row. <laughs> and sometime I'm just like, you know what? I'll just I'll have silence for just a couple moments. But overall, yeah, I I love the I, I love the, uh, the the soundtrack in this game. Uh, like we talk, we we praise a bunch of soundtracks for just having good music. But like this one really reminds me of something like crazy taxi. Well, not necessarily on the same level of iconicness as, uh, you know, something like, um, uh, uh, you know, offspring this, the, the soundtrack just so perfectly sets the mood for the game. And is such a perfect companion to the visuals and the gameplay and everything that's going on. It, it, just really accentuates everything that you're doing and everything that you're seeing. It is, it does exactly, I think what the music in the game should do without drawing too much attention to itself. 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. I think the, I I think the soundtrack's great. I don't think it's JSRF tier at all. It's not, it's not quite there, but it, it is really good. Um, and I think that like, I, I like pretty much every track in the game. I, I think that they have a really good mix of like, yeah, you've got a little bit of your hip hop in there. You've got kind of that like new Jack swing stuff in there. You've got Hideki Naganum himself did compose three songs for the game, uh, which, which are all great, you know, and sound like Hideki songs. And, um, you know, that, that's all great. Too mellow even has a track in here, which is, which is really good to see Too mellow has kind of long been the independent artist that has sort of carried the torch with, uh, yeah. with, you know, memories of Tokyo too. And, uh, a lot of the JSRF, you know, inspired music that, uh, that Too mellow has done. It's cool to see Too mellow in the game. Yeah. There's some great, there's some really, really great stuff. And I have favorites and stuff like that too. I wish I could kind of like curate my own, you know, playlist of, of like music that, that I could do. And I also wish that like, cause the way it works and it worked this way in JSRF as well. And I, and I do like this on the face of it, this idea of an area has its own like mix, like music yeah. that is more prominent in this area, because that allows like a sort of like musical identity to an area that I think is, is really cool. Um, you know, like I talk, Adam and I talk all the time about like, when you go to the sewers in JSRF, you're going to hear the song, the scrappy down there. And that makes me think of the sewers in JSRF. Like there's stuff that you can tell they were thinking about in that regard here. Um, but the problem is because you're going to be spending so much more time in these burrows, you're going to hear songs repeat a lot. And even though 
you do you can pull up your phone and you do have access to all the music that you've collected you can play whatever song you want eventually like after that song plays it just goes right back to the standard the mix yeah mix and it's like man like that you know it does like that can get a little droning when you're spending you know especially now in the stage that i'm at where i'm just kind of combing the levels looking for collectibles like you're you can spend hours in like one area and you're just going to hear the same songs they should they should have given us a zune (laughs) <laughs> just like a playlist function <laughs> would would be really cool you know so i don't know and and again that was a bit of an issue in in jsrf as well but they do there there was one thing a very very minor detail that i was um even when i was streaming it to to the discord i was playing jsrf um in the discord like a couple weeks ago and i was like audibly saying like i hope they do like the kind of dj crossfade between songs the game does do that it's a very little detail but the game does do that and so i i do i do give them credit for including that (laughs) i'm glad you noticed that i'll admit like i didn't like that never really stuck out to me but i'll I'll have to check that out next time like when i'm rolling around just trying to finish 100 percent in each of the different burrows and just trying to figure out how in the world i'm going to get up that high but um but like we've accentuated a lot of our criticisms uh, of the game, but at the end of the day, like this is still just a really good game, you guys, and we definitely think that you should check it out. Yeah, I mean, it is again. Like I have complaints with it. I do mm-hmm. think that there are, you know, that there are some some faults and some things that could be tweaked either with patches or like I'm. I hope the Team Reptile, you know, follows up with another one. I hope that they keep this series going um because like i i I would like to see more of this crew of this universe dude bob Um, russ cyberfunk future absolutely yeah like i want to i do want to see you know more from this and uh and you know they retain they they self-publish they retain all of their own rights and things like this so um I'm, i'm hopeful that this is just the first of what will be a series um but really 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 great i am thankful like i'm just so grateful that the game exists uh, I'm super thankful to Team Reptile for letting us cover it, for providing mm-hmm. us the copy, for getting to share it, you know, with uh, with our community and stuff like that, and to kind of celebrate the launch of it. Uh, it's you know, again, com- little complaints aside, none of that can take away any of the game's shine. It is exactly, in so many ways, exactly what I've been waiting for for over two decades. Yeah, um, it's great. And it feels like it still feels like a full-sized retail release game. The story mode will probably take you 10 plus hours to complete. And then again, there's a bunch of collectible stuff. There's unlockable characters and music and, uh, you know, street art. And uh, a lot of, and I'm saying all this to preface the fact that as far as indie showcases go, this is easily one of the most expensive indie games that we've ever showcased. The game is naturally thirty nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. so that is you know for people who like to for for like uh, indie games because of their typically low price point, this is an indie game that is much more on the retail side of price things. But at the end of the day, I. Seth and I still had an absolute blast with it. It's so much fun. Uh, critiques aside, uh, I still 100% recommend this game, especially especially if you are a fan of those old games. As my co-host can attest, it was made for those people. 
Yeah, it, it's it is made for the fans of of those games for sure. Like if if you are a fan of Jet Set Radio, Jet Set Radio Future, you should already own this. Um, it, it really Why is. Why are we even like, talking about it? Then? Yeah, it, it, it truly is Jet Set Radio 3. Like it, it, and, and like I said at the top, like if Sega had made Jet Set Radio 3, it wouldn't be as good as Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. <laughs> so that's about the highest compliment I think I could pay it. I, I love the game. I think that like I've got over 20 hours in the game and I'm still not yeah. done. So like for, for me, the price tag is totally warranted, but make up your own decisions. Uh, again, it is available now on the Switch. I'll also say uh, the game's out on PC and Switch. For now, uh, here in a couple days, it's dropping on Xbox and PlayStation. Nice. Um, Switch version runs great. Um, there yes, is it an, does. There's an option in the options menu called Unleash the Beast, which uh, uncaps the frame rate, which is, I think, the only time I've ever seen that in a Nintendo Switch game, which is really cool. So, I mean, the, the game like runs perfectly on Switch. I did have the game crash on me once. Me too. Once. Um, yeah, one time I did have a crash. Uh, I've had a couple of like little bugs. I was doing a race against a character once and like got slingshotted through the environment. But <laughs> like that was kind of it was just one of those things where like it's kind of funny and like you respawn so quickly. It's like whatever, you know. Um, so, I, you know, there, there have been a couple little things like that. There's a there's a patch already incoming. There's DLC characters coming. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's a great game. <laughs> uh, but let us know if you guys decide to check it out. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk available right now on the Nintendo Switch, $39.99. If you decide to check it out, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Join the conversation over in the Discord. I'm sure it wouldn't take too much poking and prodding to get Seth to talk to you about that in our Discord. Mm -mm. Uh, and if you've checked out the game, let us know what your thoughts are on each of the aforementioned platforms as well. And... You know, like, I didn't even realize this, Seth, until you told me, but the icon that we're about to talk about actually voiced the villain in JSRF, didn't he? He did. So I mentioned this earlier, and I, I, I was specifically kind of saving it for this because it is a bit serendipitous that we're going to be spending uh, a lot of time honoring Charles Martinet this week because Charles Martinet is one of only like two significantly voiced characters in Jet Set Radio Future. There's DJ Professor K, of course, and then Rokaku Goji, the big villain, the big bad of JSRF, who is voiced by Charles Martinet, one of his few non-Mario roles. And of course, uh, this week, you know, we, we got the news that Charles Martinet would be stepping down from his over 30-year iconic turn as Super Mario. Um, and so, I mean... We have to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. When it comes to video game voice actors, there's probably not more, not too many names you could put above the man that we are about to talk about. And of course, this past Monday, we got the completely out of left field news that the man, the myth, the legend, Charles Martinet himself is stepping away from the roles that made him such an icon. So we figured, I mean, like the rest of the Nintendo world, admittedly, but we figured that it was only right to look back on this man's legendary career and uh, pay it the respect it is so rightly deserved. It's me, Mario! Hello! Hello! 
So as I'm sure many of you listening to our voices have more than likely already seen, this past Monday, Nintendo released a statement saying, quote, Charles Martinet has been the original voice of Mario in Nintendo games for a long time. Ironically enough, mistakenly saying as far back as Super Mario 64. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Charles is now moving into the brand new role of Mario Ambassador. With this transition, he will be stepping back from recording voices for our games. But he'll continue to travel the world sharing the joy of Mario and interacting with you all. It has been an honor working with Charles to help him bring Mario to life for so many years, and we want to thank and celebrate him. Please keep an eye out for a special video message from Shigeru Miyamoto and Charles himself, which we will post at a future date. As of this recording, that video has not been posted. Right. Yeah, so this dropped Monday morning. Bit of a bombshell. Nobody really, you know, saw it coming. It was kind of out of nowhere. We, of course, um, you know, talked about this on the news roundup. There's, you know, there's a lot to sort of, like, pick apart. A lot of speculation going on. That's not necessarily what I think our job is here today on the show. Well, I mean, we, we, we know what happened. Like we, we know what happened. Charles wanted his new contract and NFTs and, you know, Nintendo was like, no, we're going to be paying you in our new cryptocurrency Pikmin coin. So there was just, there was a disparity there. Like, so it's, it's the, the classic irreconcilable differences, but exactly, you know, despite, despite all of that. And I think like, you know, something (laughs) with like, we, we can pick that statement apart, speculate all day long. That's all well and good. But I think what is more important is to just honor his work yeah. as Mario, as the voice of video games, really. I mean, like, the, the thing about this is, and we can, you know, there, there's a lot to say about, like, is this, you know, the way that you announce this or send off this, you know, this icon or whatever. We don't have this video that's forthcoming yet, so... Like, why not drop that with this, you know, with the announcement? Like there's... Well, when it comes when it comes to that, I specifically think they did this because once the decision was made, I think Nintendo knew they had to get ahead of it immediately because as far as things leaking prior to you being ready to say something about it, like this is massive. And if Nintendo hadn't been the one to get out in front of it and say it themselves, I... I don't know. I, I think that things would have looked even more awkward for Nintendo than they do now. It's like, listen, the decision's been made. Let's just tell people, and then we'll release a more comprehensive message at a later date. Uh, we're, we're never going to know any of this stuff. We're never going to know. So, like, it's all just conjecture, speculation, whatever. But the, the facts are is that he's not voicing Mario anymore, and none of these characters, Wario, yep. Luigi, Waluigi... Um, and you know, even in super Mario brothers wonder and WarioWare move it, which come out this year, it will not be Charles Martinet. And Nintendo has said like, Hey, yep. you're going to have to play the game and see the, see the credits to see who the new voices, which is hilarious. Um, that was weird. Very funny. But, um, in any case, like to, to, I, I think it's just important to sit here and talk about his career as Mario. You did point out, they do mistakenly say while while a lot of us were introduced to his voice as Mario in Super Mario 64, you know, coming in with the the iconic title screen and the floating Mario head, you know, like that, that is where many of us were introduced, but actually he had started doing Mario way back in like 92. Uh, He had done a couple of voices prior to that. 
Uh, they talk about in 1996 and Mario 64 in a moment that really kind of just ushered in a brand new generation of hardware. And that is, of course, Mario's polygonal head coming into screen with Charles Martinet's voice. But yeah, uh, his like even his first voice in a video game goes back to 94, which is, you know, kind of becoming more widely known. But it's Mario teaches typing, specifically the CD-ROM version the CD-ROM release of that. So he had been voicing Mario for multiple years prior to that even coming out. So yeah, you know, a lot of people think it was 96, but no, like we're talking like actual three full decades of Charles Martinet under the cap. Even, Even before Mario teaches typing, he was doing Mario's voice in the 1992 Super Mario Brothers pinball game. He did Mario's voice. They did this thing called Mario in real time, M-I-R-T, um, that they would take around to trade shows. And it was basically just a dude rigged up to like a motion, like a sort of early archaic motion capture thing um, where this guy would kind of like move the mouth and everything and move the head around as this floating disembodied Mario head and Charles would do the voice. (laughs) And this is before, this is like 1992. This is like a long time. This is before Mario teaches typing, Mario 64. Like he has been doing Mario for over 30 years. And the thing is, is like this is unprecedented. His legacy is unparalleled in the world of video games. Now, in a lot of people have pointed this out too. In Japan, it is more common for, you know, video game voice actors to sort of carry on their role for longer periods of time than it is here. Yeah. You know, voice actors in video games get routinely recast, you know, here, but none of them have done it for as long or as consistently as Charles Martinet as Mario, where you're talking about a series where his voice was was in a game annually effectively you know for 30 years <laughs> like quadrannually yeah. uh, uh whatever the word is on that but i mean it's not just the the quality or the consistency it's the publicity like this isn't just some video game character this is mario and his friends this is the quintessential video game character whenever you know, non-gamers think of video games for a lot of them. The first image that pops into their head is, you know, the be, uh, the be overalled plumber. And for Charles Martinet to have carried that fire flower lit torch for three decades is just absolutely insane. And a testament to not only the man's talent, his longevity, his professionalism, and basically just every other superlative you can throw out there. He has earned every accolade he is going to wind up getting at this point. And they'll probably wind up naming, I'm sure the Strong Museum will probably wind up naming a wing of the uh, World Video Game Hall of Fame after him. Uh, when they eventually start putting voice actors in. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to video game voice actors, he is the end all be all. He he is the Mel Blanc. Like he is the, you know, he is the the icon. He's the goat when it comes to video game voice acting. There's a couple of people who, you know, like like people were talking about like, oh, the voice actor for Rayman is coming back for the Sparks of Hope DLC, that's all cool, and that's been, you know, a long time or whatever. Nobody has the pedigree that Charles Martinet has. In fact, one of the few people that's in, like, the, it's in the same league, potentially, is Kenny James, who's been Bowser yeah. for, you know, some going on 20 years now. So, you know, honestly, like, 
they, these people have voiced these characters for a long time. And Charles, not only does he, you know, they, they talk about how he's going to continue on as a Mario ambassador. Um, and I think the form that is basically going to take is, I think, I think effectively Charles is like, well, if, if you guys are moving in a different direction, like Mario's kind of my beat, like I go to cons, I, I you know, I sign yeah. Mario stuff. And I think that's basically Nintendo's way of saying you can keep doing that. You know, we're not going to make it like, you know, uh, against your contract or whatever. We'll create this role for you, you know, so that you can officially Nintendo sanctioned go and sign autographs and take pictures and be the Mario ambassador. Show up for any video stuff we want you to, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like the Stan Lee legacy role, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's like he doesn't actually do anything for the company anymore, but they still are probably going to use him as a figurehead and they're probably going to still reference him whenever it's convenient for them. Yeah, and it's also, I think, important to notate that like moving into like, like yeah, Mario Wonder, WarioWare Move It, like his voice and the the stamp that he has put on those iconic characters, you know, these characters are bigger than he is. They're bigger than anybody that, that will ever take on those roles are. And his, his creation of those voices in, in all of that um, is going to be the point of order moving forward. Like I look at, you know, this comparison has been made by other people, but you, you look at Mario like you do Mickey Mouse, where like Mickey Mouse sounds like this. There's going to be other people that voice Mickey Mouse. There have been, you know, five, six or whatever voice actors that have voiced Mickey Mouse. But this is what Mickey sounds like. And Charles is like, he has established what Mario sounds like. Maybe they go in a couple other directions. Maybe they do this or that. But he has he has stamped what that character, those characters sound like forevermore. Yeah, it's not like, you know, Troy Baker could just come in with Troy Baker voice and start voicing Donald Duck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then speaking of like Troy Baker, uh, you know, there's a ton of amazingly talented voice actors, especially working in the industry today. You look at, uh, you know, especially a lot of the people who've been nominated for their achievements and for their performances in voice acting. People like Christopher Judge and, you know, Laura Bailey, Ashley Johnson, Troy Baker, uh, Travis Willingham, and, you know, the list goes on. And, you know, they do amazing work with these incredibly nuanced characters that requires a lot of true drama, true, uh, you know, acting chops and you could say that that's so different from what Charles Martinet does and it is however just because it's different doesn't mean I think it's any less impactful and again talking about the legacy uh, one of the things about Charles's legacy is the fact that there were probably three, four games a year. This isn't just something to where, you know, we get a Last of Us game every six years. We get a God of War game every five years. We get four or five new first-party Nintendo games every year uh, that feature, or that we did get four or five every year, that featured Charles Martinet's voice in some form or fashion for most of the three decades. So... It was a constant exposure to this guy. We were constantly hearing his voice. And even if Mario wasn't in the game, chances are a character he voiced was in the game. The statement that Nintendo released only mentioned Mario, bizarrely enough, even though he voices, for those few who don't know, he voices all four of, you know, kind of the main floor 
plumber, uh, plumber quartet. He voices Mario, Luigi, Wario, and Waluigi. So if they're in the game, you've heard Charles Martinet's voice. And he's been... He's been able to do that for three decades. He's been able to maintain that consistency. He's been able to maintain those voices. And I know there's still going to be people out there that just says like, well, he goes into a recording booth, says Wahoo for a few hours and then collects a paycheck. And this might sound like hyperbole, but it's just always felt like so much more than that. I mean, it's not even just... Though it's also like the baby versions of those characters. Yeah, the baby versions. It's like Metal Mario. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, it's all those different things. And like a lot of those iconic catchphrases, the let's a goes, the wahoos, even like the the I'm a tired and dreaming about spaghetti and whatever, like that's <laughs> improv. That is Charles Martinet off the dome. That is the stuff that he created. I mean you could make the argument that Charles Martinet has more to do with Mario as we know him than Nintendo does. It's one thing to design the character. It's one thing to have this striking, classic, you know, character design. But all of the personality and joy and exuberance that Charles Martinet added to that character um, that came from him, um, you know, is is irreplaceable. It is It is one in a million. It is... Like just, it's no notes. You nailed it. You got it in one. That's it. That is what the character is and will always be. And you can say that about all of the different characters, about all of the different sort of, you know, he had direction. He had places to go, obviously, when they sort of came into something like Luigi's Mansion where they're like, hey, Luigi's going to be scared here, right? Um, You know, when it came to voice Wario, hey, Wario's kind of like the gruff, like mean, you know, Mario. Like he had points of order, but all of the little pieces of his like personality come from Charles. If you had told somebody who didn't know that all four of those characters were voiced by different people, I think most people would believe you. Um, you know, from from Mario's just infinitely energetic and optimistic wahoos to Luigi's incredibly timid and cracking voice as he you know, quietly looks for his brother to Wario's incredibly brash and uh, <laughs> unfortunately uselessly complicated bravado to Waluigi's snide kind of Dick Dastardly-esque uh, cartoonishly evil for cartoonishly evil sake. If you had told me uh, without me knowing that all four of those characters were voiced by different people, I would have believed you. And I just love the fact that even when it comes to even when it comes to characters that don't require a lot of dialogue, that he can always get across everything he needs to, every emotion, every, you know, <laughs> it's like uh-huh. mm-hmm. every aside, every grunt, every little piece, you know exactly what's going on with the character, you know exactly what their reaction is. It's <laughs> It may feel like hyperbole to compare him to like Ernest Hemingway in terms of voice actors, but he was always able to do so much with so little with all of these characters that he didn't need these long soliloquies. He didn't need these massive monologues to get stuff across. He knew what these games were and what they needed from him. Yeah. And and I love the um his sort of like idea of Mario being this like this sort of steward of possibility and joy, this kind of, he has this great quote where he talks about how like Mario never says no, 
Mario never says like, nah, let's not do that. You know, it's always, yes, let's get, let's go, let's do this. You know, it's always just like bursting, you know, like coming through, bursting through the scenes, jumping with joy into the air. And like that, like that is exactly what video games should represent, you know, just this unabashed, reckless abandon. And, uh, and I've always loved how he's kind of like carried himself, uh, as Mario, over the years, like the way that he has sort of like, yeah, been even before Nintendo ever gave him a title, he's long been mm-hmm. like a Mario ambassador talking about what that character has meant to him and his life. I mean, like even on like a, on, on like a just mechanical, yes, he does this, this is his job. He gets paid for it. But also like the, the way that his performance has like touched people's lives with positivity and the way that that voice is carried through generations and will. I mean, like even when you look at something like Mario wonder and and WarioWare move it, like there were people who noticed admittedly. I didn't like, I was like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. It sounds like Charles Martin to me. Um, (laughs) but there were people who noticed that that was not Charles Martinet in those initial trailers, just from brief little snippets. They knew it wasn't him, but, it, they're still very much, you know, performing, whoever it is, is still very much performing those characters the way that Charles does. And I hope beyond hope that whoever it is that is picking up the torch um, is is going to carry that same sort of like joy and exuberance and just like love for life, I guess, that, that Mario has like. There's something infectious about that. I think that's important when there's so many... I think the thing that has helped Mario endure throughout the years is positivity. Negativity is not timeless. Positivity is. You know, at the end of the day, the the things that are going to carry on longer than we're alive, the things that will outlive us, are going to be the things that spread joy and light. It's not going to be the things that are all about, you know, darkness and doom and gloom. You know, Mario is a, like an oasis in a desert. When we look at stuff like a lot of the games in the modern AAA game space, these browns and grays and stuff, Mario bursts through and he says, Yahoo! You know, like it's just, (laughs) he is a complete 180 from everything else. And I think that is what has helped him just endure all this time. I also think it's that case of, you know, we know Mario is a character, if we're looking at Mario objectively as a character, he's never really been a good character on paper. Right. Uh, over the past 35 years, he's had zero character development. Uh, I, honestly, I'm still a little mad about the ending of Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You just can't like he's become iconic just because of his infectious energy. The character should not have ever worked beyond the NES. These these bizarre character concepts that were created. You have this human Italian plumber within this weird world where bricks are made up of mushroom headed denizens inside the mushroom can. There's a like it's just such a bizarre concept. We we understand the the stream of consciousness that it took to get there, but just looking at it within a vacuum, the Mario franchise really should not have 
sustained itself. It really should not have made it this far. And I'm, you know, you could very easily argue that a lot of it has to do with the strength of the gameplay. And I definitely wouldn't argue that. But I would also postulate, I would also put to you that an equally important aspect of the character's longevity has been that untangible, that intangible factor that Charles has always brought to the Mushroom Kingdom, to Mario, to, you know, all four of the big four characters, in addition to their numerous variations and everything. Uh, he's, he's really kind of defined it. And one of the things about it is because of the nature of so much of the vocal work for it, it transcends language. Right. So for so many characters, you have to get different voice actors for just about every spoken language out there. And a lot of voice actors that we know, a lot of the famous voice actors here in the West, I'm sure a lot of people in Japan have no peop- no clue who Troy Baker is. I'm sure a lot of people in Korea have no clue who Laura Bailey is, but they know who Charles Martinet is. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the kind of thing where like, you know, you you don't need, you know, Mario to speak like full sentences in like Spanish. <laughs> you know, like they're they're exclamations, <laughs> you know. And I and I love I love too like your tango wahoo <laughs> yeah like he just he doesn't have to he doesn't have to do that um and i'll i'll, I'll say too and I, I think something that um you know there's been a lot of like dialogue this has been going going back to even the the mario movie and we do need to touch on the mario movie absolutely as well but yeah. um but even going back to when he was announced to be recast in the mario movie of course by chris pratt um, who is the only other person that has voiced Mario um, in, in, you know, that way anyway, not in video games, of course, but in, um, in that animated sense, other than, you know, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and stuff like this. Um, you know, we had that moment and a lot of people were sort of saying, well, Charles could have done, could have done that. Charles could have done, like, he could have carried a movie. He could have voice acted the the whole way through the movie. And regardless of how you come down on that for Mario, I want to give him actually special props for his performance as Wario. Anybody who didn't play WarioWare Gold, where there is like, I don't know, an hour, maybe more than that, of fully voiced Charles Martinet, fully voiced and acted cutscenes as Wario in like probably the most like single, I guess, perfect crystallized like um, package of Charles Martinet voice acting is in WarioWare Gold. And um, if you if you ever wanted to like kind of get a uh, a sense of his acting chops, look no further than that game. He deserves some flowers for that because Charles Martinet, he absolutely can do like the, the wahoos and stuff are a choice. He can do like full sentences. He, you know, there was a quote from, I think James Arnold Taylor, who was like, you know, yeah, maybe you could do a funny voice, but can you do Shakespeare in that voice? You know, can you act in that voice? Charles Martinet can, you know? Yeah. And like, he never really got the chance to, to do that with Mario. It was never really necessary, but he could have. And he, and he absolutely did it with Wario in that game. So I want to give him, give him his flowers as they say for that too. 
Just a good actor. And it's not like they plucked him out of obscurity. Charles Martinet has had a career even outside of Nintendo. He has a few lesser known roles outside of the world of Nintendo. He was in Resonance of Fate. He was in, uh, I mean, the <laughs> he was in The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. He's a dragon in that game. Yeah. And he's got this deep, booming voice. He's Parthunax. You know, he's like, it's so cool. It's And it's funny because you can like, you can kind of hear it, like if you know it's him. But otherwise, you'd probably never know. He plays a fairly major character, Orvis, in Ratchet and Clank, Crack in Time. Um, you know, he, he does, uh, there's this character in uh, Skies of Arcadia, Vigoro, who isn't like, th- there's not a ton of voice acting in that game other than just like, you know, let's finish this or whatever he's saying in there. Um, you know, very little voice acting, but but he does do the voice of that too. He's done other stuff, you know, than just Mario. Yeah. He, as a matter of fact, uh, we did a review of that high score uh, docuseries uh, yeah. a while back on Netflix. And Charles Martinet was the narrator for that. And he did yeah. a fantastic job. He's great. Yeah, he, he's great. I mean, so it, it, it's not as if... You know, th- this is the only thing. Like you're, you're just the one trick pony. You, you can do Mario and some of these other Mario Jason characters. But what else do you got? He can do a lot of stuff, man. And yeah, like with the Super Mario Brothers movie, um, he of course, and this is gonna be if you somehow have not seen the Mario movie, uh, at this point, light spoilers, I guess. Um, yeah. He voices two characters in that in that movie. He voices Giuseppe. Um, which is effectively like a Jumpman sort of reference. Yeah, kinda. it's basically Mario from another timeline, essentially. Yeah, multiverse <laughs> Mario, and he's like, he, yeah, <laughs> he's in the Punch Out Pizzeria at the beginning, playing the Jumpman arcade game, and you know, uh, Chris Pratt's Mario kind of wonders aloud if, um, if he's going, if it's too much, like if the if the voice he's putting on in in their Mario Brothers plumbing commercial is too much, and Charles Martinet comes in as Giuseppe with his with his voice, just doing the Mario voice, and he's you know it's just the too much, it's a perfect wahoo, you know, like that that sort of thing, and it's just like so good. But like then the other character he voices in that movie is Mario and Luigi's father, mm-hmm. which is a very intentional choice i think that that like they could have just had the cute little giuseppe cameo but to have him play mario and luigi's father who again doesn't have a ton of like presence or roles um in the movie but like that felt like a real closing of the book in hindsight now that i look back at that role that felt like the sort of passing of the torch the final word that Char- the, the final line that Charles Martinet delivers in the Mario universe is these are my boys, you know, in the Mario movie. Like, that that's phenomenal to me. <laughs> I, it does make you wonder whether or not they knew, whether or not he knew, uh, for whatever reason, again, for whatever happened, that he was going to wind up stepping away from the role. Because it would have been nice. It would have been so wonderful to know that an upcoming project was going to be his final time uh, voicing these characters. And I think it, (laughs) I don't want to say like we as fans felt robbed of a proper celebration, uh, but it, it did kind of come out of nowhere, unfortunately. And 
You know, it's Nintendo says specifically not just about Mario, but that he's no longer going to be voicing in their games, just kind mm-hmm. of blanket across the board. And of course, you know, just because it's in a Twitter post doesn't mean it's 100% locked in stone. Sure. Just, like whatever happens, they could say is like, you know what? We've had a change of heart. Charles Martinet's coming back for the next game. But, you know, as of right now, we are under the understanding that as far as Nintendo voice acting goes, Charles's uh, career under the cap is done. And I just wondered, like, there's some there, there are some very famous moments out there. But are there any moments for you, Seth, that maybe aside from the more obvious ones that just kind of stick out for you? There's, um, there, there's, there's a couple, you know, when it comes to Mario and I already shouted out, you know, WarioWare gold, which I think is, you, there, there's like, somebody's collected all the cutscenes of WarioWare gold on YouTube. If you never play that game, at least watch that. Like truly special, his performance in that game. But, um, I think that like, there's a certain, and, and this is funny because I think Mario 64 is where a lot of my favorite you know, sort of like voice lines or things with Mario come from Um, when Mario, the way that like Charles's voice, it's a simple little teeny tiny thing, but whenever he picks something up or like exerts himself and like, there's like a, yeah, like you can almost hear like the strain in Mario's voice when he does it. And like something about that has always resonated to me. The, the way he sort of performed that, um, also, I mean, yeah, like we, we mentioned it earlier that it's me, Mario, you know, coming into the title screen of Mario 64. I mean, like what a magical moment that was when, yeah. when you're first encountered by that, like, especially having a pre-existing relationship with a Mario that doesn't talk. You and I grew up with a Mario that didn't talk, you yeah. know, and that's something that, you know, I think that is a crucial distinction to make. There might be a lot of like younger gamers out there that say, okay, a voice actor is moving on. So what you and I grew up with a Mario that did not talk. And then suddenly he did. And it's so weird because this happened in 1996 and, you know, the PlayStation had already come in and, you know, Sega CD and we were getting CD quality sound and we were getting voice acting even toward the end of the 16 bit era of video games. They were, they were adding horribly compressed audio clips to games, but still there was voice acting. It was starting to creep its way into video games. And, you know, yes, we all know now that Mario 64 wasn't actually his first credit as Mario, but that was his first introduction for so, so many of us. And growing up, we didn't like, I don't think we even really knew what we wanted Mario to sound like. I don't think we really had a concept of what he would sound like. And it was so weird, but then uh, just immediately comforting because I remember getting, and this is something I mentioned a couple times on the show before I had a subscription to Nintendo power. And as part of that, I got occasionally these marketing VHS tapes. Uh huh. And one of them was the upcoming ultra 64, which would be renamed the Nintendo 64, and it showed off. It was this huge gameplay breakdown of Super Mario 64, and it showed the the opening screen, and it showed everything, and that was my first interaction with it. I heard that, and for years, not really knowing, is like, well, what's Mar- what does Mario actually sound like outside of Captain Lou Albano? 
I heard it's a me Mario. And I was like, that's perfect. That that's exactly what it should be. That is 100%. I don't know what I wanted, but that's a hundred times better than anything I could have ever thought of. Yeah. Like the, the thing about it is, is like, I never, I never had a thought of like, what, what should Mario sound like or whatever, like that never entered into my calculus. You know, I was just a kid playing video games, but it, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people in the announcement of, and I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody, but, but like a lot of people who are like, oh my God, like it blew my mind. Mario had a voice and like, like, you know, that's fine. That, that was not my experience. My experience was, yeah, that tracks no notes. Yeah. You got it in one. <laughs> like my experience was, of course, that's what Mario sounds like. It just made sense. And by the way, it doesn't make sense. It's the opposite of what it should sound like. Anybody else, the reason Charles Martinet got the role, and he's told this story a bunch of times. There's a great mm-hmm. video. It's called Great Big Story. That's a it's a great video. You look it up on YouTube, Great Big Story, Charles Martinet, where he tells the story of crashing the audition, of coming in, being told that there's an audition for Nintendo who wanted to find the voice of Mario. And like he comes in there and they're literally he's walking in as they're walking out. And he's like, oh my God, can I please audition for you real fast? And they're like, ugh, I, I guess. You know, and then like they sit him down. They're like, cool, you're an Italian plumber from Brooklyn. Go. And everybody else was given the, you know, the classic, like kind of gruff Brooklyn plumber. Yeah. Yeah. Like doing, (laughs) doing that whole thing. But then Charles Martinet comes out with his whole thing and he's like doing this improv vaguely racist Italian stuff where he's like, I get, (laughs) I get the spaghetti and I put it on the pizza and mama mia, you know, but like he did that because in his view, you know, video games back then we're still very much looked at as a child's pastime, yeah. right? Yeah. And and they and they were back then and and like um you know it was not this kind of like cinematic, you know, mainstream thing it is today. Um so he wa- he thought that voice would be more appropriate to appeal to kids and that was it. Like that was the moment that Nintendo was like, "Yeah, you know what? Yes, that like that's Mario." And it just Despite the fact that nothing about that voice should have worked, it absolutely does. And, like, that is going to be the thing that endures about that character. And, like, to be honest, like, I consider myself lucky that we got to experience it, that we got to be on the ground floor of it. Mario, when you and I are gone, Mario will be alive still. You know what I mean? Like, that character will outlive everybody listening to this podcast right now. And... Charles Martinet's voice and like the groundwork that he laid back all the way back then crashing that audition talking about spaghetti and pizza, you know, (laughs) that is going to endure for time immemorial. I love, you know, this was something they referenced in the Mario movie. Uh, but during your fights with Bowser in super Mario 64, (laughs) uh, (laughs) <laughs> like he, <laughs> he'd throw Bowser. So long, mm. me Bowser. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. <laughs> that's not what everybody thought he was saying. <laughs> and and it's funny. He he. In retrospect, I think he says the line is "So long, Kinga Bowser," but uh, mm. the compression of the N64 does not make it sound like that. <laughs> I always like. I always heard "So long, me Bowser." Like he like he gave Bowser a pet name or something. Yeah. <laughs> like he was so non-threatened by him. That's funny. Yeah, there, there's. There, it's funny because, like, in a way, that that level of like compression also um, is sort of like charming. Like, because because it does create like this kind of vague, 
Like, you know, you know, when Mario would, uh, there, there's this great bit from this old podcast I used to listen to called Idle Thumbs, um, where like whenever you complete a stage, Mario will be like, that's just so nice or something like that. Like at the end of the stage, he'll say something like that, but it's compressed just enough to where you can't really tell what he's saying. So there's this meme that was going around years and years ago about what he could be saying. And one of them's like, threat neutralize, <laughs> you know, pizza tonight, <laughs> you know, like all this random stuff. Like it kind of creates like this little bit of lore around it, you know, like, like when something is just obscured or vague enough, you know, and I kind of like that too. <laughs> I love, uh, you know, just kind of going back and, and listening to, uh, you know, his different, uh, you know, like all of his different portrayals, like he's been doing this for 30 years, but like, it's still so like the super Mario 64 Mario still sounds like Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Mario. And the man after doing this for 30 years, like he somehow hasn't let, the you know being jaded by life creep into his voice acting performances it it feels like it's the exact same person at the exact same point in their life the dude's 67 years old and if you go and watch any video any interview with charles martinet he has got the most boyish energy bouncing off the walls you know like he is like he embodies that character. Any picture you see of him, especially when he's doing like convention appearances as Mario or whatever, he is jumping in the air with his fist up and big old smile, just like this ray of light and positivity. You know, just like any other human being on this planet, you know that like life was not always the best for him. But mm-hmm. like you'd never know it to to hear to hear the way he's played this character. You'd never know any of that. He's not like the life has not gotten him down. He has always carried on and continued on as Mario, man. Respect. And it's even it's even more so than just Mario. I mean, we've talked about it a couple times, but like Luigi, prior mm-hmm. to Charles Martinet, Luigi was just green Mario. He didn't have really any defining characteristics or traits really until Luigi's Mansion in which Martinet was able to really characterize Luigi in a way that we still know him as to this day. Yeah. The way that Martinet was able to bring Luigi to life in Luigi's mansion is still the exact same Luigi character. Uh, So, I mean, he's done it with both of the brothers, one much more famously, but equally impactful as far as the characters are concerned. His portrayal of Mario has of course gone on to become this, pillar of the industry, but I, I also don't want to discredit the fact that Luigi is an icon in his own right that owes a lot of his legacy to Martinet's portrayal as well. Yes. Well, and, and I'll also say too that like, you know, yes, he was, you know, nobody really latched onto this when the Mario movie came out. Everybody was like, oh, Chris, Cra- uh, Chris Pratt's replacing Charles Martinet. Well, Charlie Day also replaced Charles Martinet. In that movie. And like, you could make the argument that unlike with Chris Pratt, who very, you know, and and I think we're in agreement. Chris Pratt did a good job, you know, as Mario. He did. That, that, you know, all good, all fine, totally fine job. Liked it. Um, But Charlie Day, like he's kind of known for his kind of boisterous, eccentric, kind of scared, anxious personality. I would argue that Charlie Day 
probably wouldn't have even been cast as Luigi if it wasn't for Charles Martinet establishing that as the point of order for Luigi's personality in Luigi's Mansion. The Mario, you know, like that. Kind of, like he, he uh. like, yeah, like that is that is Luigi, man. And like, if you don't get that, I don't think. I don't think Charlie Day even enters into your calculus when you're casting him for the movie. Oh, but it's so good. It really is. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's still a good chance that Charles Martinet will do voices outside of Nintendo. We don't have, you know, we don't have his itinerary. We don't have his contracts in front of us. We don't know if this means any type of semi-retirement or anything. We only know at this point uh, what Nintendo has told us through uh, that statement they released on Monday and what Charles Martinet posted on Twitter about all of us being in his heart. Number uh, one in his heart. Number one in his heart, which I actually made me tear up a little bit. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's absolutely an icon. And when it comes to video game voice acting, like he is just the standard bearer as far as I'm concerned. There's no number two. Like he's in a league of his own. And the reason that I think a lot of us look at this kind of thing, and we all feel sad and confused about kind of like, you know, the, the announcement of this news change is scary. You know, yeah. it's like, it is, it's, it's scary. And like, we've known this, this voice for 30 years, but I think that it's more valuable to be excited about the future and to, like honor the past and honor what that 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 performance is. It was always gonna this this day was always gonna come, you yeah. know. And like as long as it's as long as it has to happen, we are living in this age of transition for Nintendo of a lot of the old guard kind of changing over in the Switch era. In you know, 2D Mario is getting a completely new refresh, and I honestly think that that was it. I think it's a symbolic thing more than anything. Cause I do think Charles Martinet could have, and would have voiced Mario until the day he died. But should we ask him to is the question. Should we, should we ask him to, should we allow him to retire gracefully right off into the sunset, be the Mario ambassador and pass the torch on to the next generation in this new refreshed wave of Mario. I think it's a symbolic thing more than anything. I think Nintendo knew they, yeah, of course they could have had him do Mario Wonder. He hasn't he hasn't missed a step in 30 years. Of course they could have. <laughs> but they don't need to, nor should they. They should, you know, let let him retire, even if it's somewhat forcible. Um, you know, again, we're never again, gonna know what goes, goes on behind the scenes. We're never gonna know. Yeah. Um, but but I think that like, you know, the, the legacy speaks for itself. And I'm glad that like many people, when I saw that, you know, that JPEG on Twitter, I thought they were announcing his passing. Yeah, um, I did too, man. I, for, for a second, I was like, no, 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 not this. Isn't but, this uh, better? Isn't, isn't letting well, Charles yeah, Martinet, I'm, I'm saying, isn't, isn't it better that Charles Martinet gets to retire and live out the rest of his days as Mario ambassador you know, like this, isn't this preferable to, yes, he died and here's a JPEG talking about that. And, you know, like to me, this is actually, yes, it's bittersweet. Yes, it's sad, but like, I'm excited for the future. He's excited for the future. And that's all that matters to me at this point. The The work that he's done will live on forever. And I 
truly think that the the forthcoming message from Shigeru Miyamoto and from uh, Charles Martinet, we have Nintendo Live coming up next week. I mean, it's September. More than likely, we have a Nintendo Direct incoming at some point soon. And I imagine that said message will be uh, arriving then. Uh, hopefully to shed some light on at least what the future of the icon is going to hold and maybe a little bit more, maybe just a little bit more information about the new guard. We'll see. We'll see, man. But all the love and respect to, to Charles Martinet, um, you know, that, that he, it's one of those things where like, yeah, we're going to live to see more people play Mario, but that's always going to be my Mario. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I don't know. It's, it leaves a tall order for the new uh, for the new guard, but I'm still very excited we'll see. to see what the new voice actor has in store for us. I'm excited to see what little individual tweaks they bring to the character because I do think that the new style, the new ideas, the new you know artistic aesthetic of the Mushroom Kingdom. I think it could stand maybe a couple new interesting character nuances and tweaks when it comes to the vocal performance, but we shall see. We don't have that long to wait. Comes out in under two months. I can't wait. Seth can't wait. But as far as Charles Martinet goes, sir, we salute you. Thank you for 30 years of unparalleled professionalism and excellence. Yes. Thank you, Charles Martinet. Appreciate you. Wahoo, indeed. Wahoo. Thank you so much for listening to our, our <laughs> podcast. Yeah. But if you have any thoughts about Charles Martinet, the man, the myth, the icon, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, at All In Podcast. Make sure to jump into our Discord. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. Again, we talked a little bit more about this during our weekly news roundup this week. Make sure to check out youtube.com slash all in podcast. Like, follow, subscribe, click the bell, and all that good stuff. We've produced a ton of content, continue to produce a ton of content uh, as much as it was difficult this week. But in addition to all of that, we still produce a ton of uh, exclusive content for our patrons. We do at patreon.com slash all in podcast, three tiers of support over there. You can get a seven day free trial to the golden banana tier, net yourself a ton of exclusive content. We appreciate you for throwing a few bones our way for our hard work. Uh, you can even, you know, head over to bit.ly slash all in merch, throw a few bones our way that way as well. We appreciate that. But if you don't have your bones throw away, that's okay too. You can, as always drop some words, leave a five star review on whatever podcast service you listen to us on Apple podcasts, you know, Podchaser, Audible, Spotify, leave us those reviews. It is free. It is easy. Very appreciated. And uh, really the best way to get our show in front of the people who need to hear it. And for everybody who has done that, we just want to say thank you. You are a number one in our hearts <laughs> for uh, all of our amazing patrons, for everybody who has dropped words, for everybody who's picked up a piece of our merch at bit.ly slash all in merch. Uh, absolute legends. And for everybody who has even just shared our content uh, somewhere, somehow, some way across this vast internet of ours uh, this special week. I just want to say thank you. (laughs) It is a shame that we never got to hear Mario say namaste. That would have been pretty good. 
that would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Big week. I mean, between you yeah, know, man. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk and and sort of honoring Charles Martinet was it was a big week. Of course, we uh, we do have, as you alluded to earlier, Nintendo Live is next week. Uh, yep. We won't be there, unfortunately. We uh, won't. We didn't. We, we didn't get we lucky enough. <laughs> yeah, the, the Nintendo <laughs> we both put gods in for tickets, but uh, <laughs> did oh not well. uh, did not grace us with that. But it's okay because we will have Sea of Stars coverage. Yes, um, coming. That comes out next week. We're very excited about that. But uh, I mean, Nintendo Live is also next week. But don't let that distract you from the fact there's also another major event happening in the next building over from That's right. Nintendo Live. We got PAX West coming. Uh, next week, or is it PAX East? No, PAX, PAX West. West. Yeah, PAX West. Yeah. Um, we got that going on. We got the brand new TMNT uh, content dropping next week. Next week is going to be yet another big one, and of course, we are going to be so happy to, you know, be joining you all for it. Yeah, we, we're going to end this uh, episode just by saying. Uh, this one was, it's a, it's a minor miracle that this episode was, oh, this able was to a get cursed out, episode for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we got, uh, we did it. We did, especially this one was incredibly important to us because of, you know, the weight of, of this week. We knew that we were going to make sure to, to get this one out. But again, this is, this, this was, this was a, a, a Herculean feat. Mostly You've earned from your my review amazing- this week. <laughs> Most, mostly from my amazing co-host so go ahead and show him especially some love at two dollar hero on oh, twitter thanks. go ahead and show him some love um but again guys we will be right back with you here next week but until then guys i have been baba is eric and i have been s-i-r-t seth in real time we'll see you next week we love you very much bye-bye bye wahoo